0: Okay, we are broadcasting. Welcome to today's CGC Coaching Call. This is another themed call. I think this is our third themed call, right, Rochelle? Yes. Now we're kind of semi in the same room here, huh? That's neat. I hope there's not an echo that happens, but let us know if there's some kind of echo coming through and we'll mute somebody's speaker or microphone. Anyway, welcome to the call. I see we have some people joining us. And the theme for today's call is Rochelle. No, it's actually not Rochelle's (laughs) theme. (laughs)
1: the theme is the big picture
0: the big picture and thinking big that'd be cool to have a call where the theme is Rochelle you know (laughs) one would be to get your name right because a lot of people call you Rachel or Rochelle
1: or they just spell my name wrong even if they know my name.
0: yeah Rochelle that would be you know that would be a theme of probably multiple calls just to figure you out (laughs) we've been together for years and I'm still trying to figure that out Okay, so yeah. Okay, so Pierre says it's fun not to see you in your office. That's partly because I got this new MacBook, and of course the dongles. You know, you have to get. I think I got like four of them already, but of course I still don't have the right one to hook up my monitor, my bigger monitor with the webcam on top. So um, yeah, so I I still have to get the correct dongle for that, which Apple doesn't even sell. Like not even at their Apple stores. You have to go and get it online for a third party or something like that. So yeah, that's one of the downsides of the new MacBooks is you're in dongle hell if you've got all those uh, (laughs) all those previous connectors because everything has to go through USB-C now. So (laughs) yeah. All right. So uh, what are your wins? What's going well? What do you got, Rochelle? Well, I got people think of something. Uh,
1: Why do you always Mm ask me first?
0: (laughs) You always have to go first. I know you have to set an example for the group.
1: Well, oh, this new shirt is a win. It was only like 13 bucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. I like it yep. though. Yeah.
1: I like polka dots. So. Yeah. Yep. I like collar shirts too. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> now, I'm sure there's other ones. Well, I mean, my, my challenges are still going. Mm-hmm. And the yoga one for the whole year is about to wrap up soon because there's only like 10, 11, whatever days left in the year. Uh, and cardio challenge is still going, that's all good.
0: Okay. Ranjana successfully finished two thirds of her 30 days of cooking challenge. Awesome. Does that mean she's only eating two two thirds as much food? (laughs) (laughs) Like only the first two meals of each day or something? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Rebecca started another session with coach me. Okay. As a coach or hiring a coach? because I I know about coach me, but okay. <laughs> um, Sky Blue is celebrating this morning, that's good. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, yeah, just looking through, see if there's anything else here. Oh, Patrick finally quit the job and is exploring new paths now, awesome, congrats. Okay, and Rebecca's hiring coach, cool. What, I'm not good enough for you? <laughs> it's okay most of my friends are coaches of some sort or another so we all coach each other it's 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 actually really cool and common for people to like work with multiple coaches in different areas of life you never know what's gonna like jiggle something for you and uh get you going down a new path so okay and rebecca needs individualized attention high maintenance eh (laughs) okay we can deal with that (laughs) all right so um Let's talk about the theme for today, which is thinking bigger and connecting with life purpose. And what were some of the other words there or phrases, Rochelle, related to that?
1: I could go bring them up. Big
0: picture. um,
1: Life goals. The grand vision. Purpose. Yeah,
0: major goals, that sort of thing.
1: Kind of like bringing it all together.
0: Okay, so I'll I'll share some thoughts and ideas about that, some frames, and uh, we'll kind of get into this, and then we'll see if anybody wants to do any coaching, especially around this particular area. This is a uh, um, th- this is a topic with so many different ways of framing it, and I think one of the simplest is to is to realize and to accept that setting a big goal takes the same amount of energy as setting a small goal. The setting of the goal is you know, about the same. (laughs) You can set a big goal, or you can set a small goal. And, you know, reality is somewhat neutral on what you ask for, in that sense, at least that's, at least that's one interesting way of framing it. And so what happens often is we, we set a bunch of small goals, and we work really hard on them, and we might get the results. But then there isn't that much leverage in the results, like the payoff isn't that big. We we work at a job, you know, making somebody else money and doing our daily work and okay, that's a goal and we achieve that. But at the same time, other people might actually be spending the same number of hours per week with just a, a 10 times or hundred times bigger vision. Like um, doing, it could be even doing the same type of work but making it more impactful. So let's say you have a job cleaning houses and that's your goal to clean all the houses that you can clean personally. You can 10x that by basically saying, I want to find a way to clean 10 times as many houses, in which case you probably won't be able to do it personally. You can 100 times that or 1,000 times that, in which case the goal still takes the same amount of energy to set. But when you set bigger goals, it requires that you frame things differently. You come at the problem from a different angle. You can't just throw the same type of strategy at it that you would with a smaller goal making a meal for yourself is going to use one strategy, but making a meal for a thousand people requires a whole different mindset, a whole different strategy. So when you get into setting big picture goals, you're going to have to be more flexible in how you get there in your strategy. And one of the key objections that you get, you know, to people setting big picture goals is I don't have the time or there's just no way I could fit this into my life. And that's true only to the extent that you believe it's true because you make it true. It's an irrational objection because clearly there's plenty of evidence in the world that other people who have the same number of hours you do each day, they're pursuing big picture goals, they're pursuing the big stuff, they're working on the life purpose. How do they get themselves to do that? For one, they don't make an excuse not to do it. They just say, hey, this is important to me, I'm going to do this, and they decide. And it it sounds simplistic, and it is, and it really is that simple much of the time. We make it more complicated though, when we layer on these objections and excuses. And if we can actually look at those rationally, we can just sort of collapse them. I mean, the whole thing of like, I don't have the time. Well, you know, really? Because other people do, so why don't, why don't you have it? Well, because you filled your day with other stuff that's taking your time and energy away. And when you set a big picture goal, like it's pretty much a no brainer. You have to take energy away from somewhere else. <laughs> so what's that somewhere else? The energy has to leave the smaller thinking. It has to leave the non-aligned stuff. It has to leave the non-purposeful stuff so you can put more of it into the purposeful stuff. So you could start with the obvious candidates, you know, pulling energy from from extra television, extra entertainment, that sort of thing. Um, You can take, (laughs) you can actually make a huge breakthrough just by taking all the energy and the mental effort you put in defending your excuses and put that into, okay, I'm just going to stop creating excuses and defending them anymore. And I'm just going to actually use that same time and energy to work on the actual goals. You can take the thinking about maybe I should be doing something bigger, energy and thought, and put it into actually doing something bigger. <laughs> that alone can free up a tremendous amount of time and energy. Like if you, if you, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about doing something different, doing something bigger, how much neural processing power are you spending running yourself in circles? Um, it, you might be surprised to realize just how much that adds up to and one of the things i 've seen um, among friends, since I have a lot of friends that do this big picture thinking and they really go after bigger goals, is uh, they, you know they, they often work fewer hours than people do when they 're working on, on, on smaller smaller goals like in, even in the same industry. Um, like goals that may just be less impactful. And part part of the place of leverage for them is just to keep taking action, just to not spend so much time thinking about the shoulds and the maybes and just dive into lots of crazy wild experiments. So with all the experimentation they do, they learn, they fail, they make mistakes, but they adjust as they go. And there's... You know, there's like this idea of, um, what if I set that big picture goal? What if I pursue my life purpose? And it turns out to be a mistake or I'm wrong or reality slams me back. Um, let me make that easy for you. That's probably what's going to happen. You probably will fail and make mistakes and reality will slam you back. So your fear is real. (laughs) Like that is almost certainly going to happen. Uh, we see evidence of that in anybody who pursues a big picture goal, an interesting path, you get slammed back. You know, um, people that do the interesting stuff, they go bankrupt. They go through divorces. They, they they, they lose their stuff. They fail in business. They, um, they get cheated. They get betrayed. Um, so if you can realize that that's probably going to happen and still say yes to it anyway, then you've got, you know, then you've got something there. If you think that that's a reason to quit, like, oh no, somebody was mean to me. Oh no, I lost my money. Therefore I must give up. If you think that's the lesson there, that's going to keep you thinking smaller. That's going to keep you stuck where you are because that's not that's that's not the lesson. The lesson is not that if you fail, you give, you give up so easily. The lesson is that if you fail, it's training. It's training for your character. It's training for how to do it. It's training to help you figure out the right strategy. And this is why it's so important to, if you're going to focus on those big picture goals, to do the stuff that matters to you. However, you might be thinking, and this is a common mistake, that you've got to have it really locked in, really dialed in in advance, that like your clarity about your big picture goal has to be at a level like eight, nine, or 10 um, in order for you to get moving and get taking action. Like you're waiting for the clarity to happen first as if the universe says, here's your purpose, go forth. You know, and, and you have this mandate from reality that says, you now have permission to go pursue your life purpose. And yes, this is it uh, that's probably not going to happen unless you're Moses or something. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it doesn't really show up that way. Um, almost always the, the initial start when somebody goes and pursues a big picture goal, a really purposeful path, it's different than what they initially expected. Um, like it turns out differently. It evolves over time. It becomes something else. look at Pixar. I mean, Pixar making these, um, you know, fabulous 3D generated movies, but what did they start out out as? They started out as, um, you know, part of of George Lucas's company and basically making um, high-end rendering hardware for medical imaging. I think they're, you know, it had many purposes, but they were trying to sell it in the medical field, I think initially, and they were not doing so well. And eventually Steve Jobs buys them. And then they're doing this thing on the side where they're making animation shorts, but really they're still trying to sell the hardware. That's their purpose to like really up level the hardware in the, in, you know, the rendering hardware and having these high end, you know, rendering boxes they were selling And they were not selling that well. <laughs> Yet that was their stab at their purpose, their big picture vision for what they were going to do. Or they end up to somewhere totally different. It was related to where they started, but it was a learning process to get there. It was not like you know, here's the vision. Let's go implement it. That's called the, you know, in software development terms, that's called the waterfall model where you basically are at the top of a waterfall. You see where the water goes. It's just going straight down, (laughs) lands in a pool. And all you got to do is just go over the waterfall and flow with gravity into the pool. Like that's your vision where planning out the project is just figuring out where the waterfall is going. And all you do is jump. And you know, that's, that's, that means like, Ah, there I am. There's my goal. I just have to jump into it. <laughs> just go through the steps. You know, you can just take that waterfall essentially and turn it sideways and there's your software development schedule. Or for any project, really. Just go sideways and you're there. Um, reality tends not to work like that. <laughs> not in software development, not in pretty much anywhere else in life. Uh, unless it's a really tiny goal, you can get that type of thing. I mean, even with smaller goals, like when I make dinner, it often doesn't turn out as I expect. (laughs) So, you know, I'll start with one idea and go somewhere else. So (laughs) by the time I'm done and yet I can still eat it. That's the thing is like your goals can turn out very differently and yet you can still experience them. You can still eat them. Um, So to go after the big picture stuff, you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to co-create with life. It's not just that you lay out the plans and execute them linearly and then you're done. And in fact, if life did work that that way, I think it would be pretty boring. It would make the big picture stuff a lot less interesting. What I see in friends who pursue the big picture stuff is that they're much more alive in the day-to-day because their days are filled with something interesting they get to do, filled with surprises, filled with challenges that force them to do their best one sign you're not pursuing something all that purposeful for you is you know ask yourself how many days each week do you have to do your best you know do you really feel like you are doing your best work when i have a really interesting project to sink my teeth into most days of my weeks are like that most days i feel like at least for part of the day i've got to do my best i've got to be at my best creative self um I got to have the best heart alignment, you know, whatever it is that brings out the best in you, that's a hint where your purpose can be. And I don't think there's just like one divinely mandated purpose for everyone. I think this is a, a bit of an ex- exploration process. It's a negotiation process. My sense of purpose in life can be fairly simple. I mean, I can, I can often express it as I just want to help people grow or I want to help people live more consciously. And also I wanna help myself live more consciously. I wanna explore what it means to be a conscious being and to really push that far. And the purpose is simple, but it's not really an end goal. It doesn't really have crystal clarity. It's more of just a direction. It's, it's a thing that adds flavor to life. But when I go back to that, and I think about, you know, what would be something purposeful to do next in terms of projects, in terms of action steps? It serves as a guide you know, it helps me think, okay, is this really something that's going to help me explore my life as a conscious being? Is this something that's going to help me uh, help other people explore their paths as well? But then I think another piece to, to combine with that is that question of what would be your best? What would your best look like? So if you get hung up on the, perp- on the idea of thinking big and life purpose, and that seems too amorphous, it's just like this fuzzy blob and you don't know what to do with it, I think a, a more grounded question is just to ask, what would my best look like? Like if you were doing your best, your best as a human being, <laughs> not just in work, what would that look like? That will give you a sense of where your purpose is. And if you, if you go to work at a job, you know, ask yourself, am I doing my best here? Right? Because you can start with this wherever you are. At your job, see if you can do your best work. And you'll probably find it really changes the flavor of your life. It changes the satisfaction you get. It changes the fulfillment you get. When you are not doing your best and life slams you down, you, you run into mistakes or problems or failures, what you'll tend to do a lot of the time is you blame yourself, you know, because you know you weren't doing your best. And so you have to have some responsibility for that, for that outcome. You think well you know maybe i deserve to be fired you maybe even feel like well okay i I should have been fired (laughs) so i was just sort of goofing off at work you might feel a bit resentful but you're probably going to have some self-blame in there and whenever you fall short of doing your best like you're not even trying to do your best you feel less deserving of good things from life you feel less deserving of support because you know you're holding back And when you find something that you can really sink your teeth into where it lights you up to the point where you're doing your best and you know that, then if you run into a problem or challenge and life slams you down, you don't have any guilt about it. You don't have any shame about it because you look back and you know, I did my best knowing knowing what I knew at the time. You may look back in retrospect and think there are things you could have done differently, but it would require hindsight that you didn't have at the, at the time you went through that. And as long as you can say you made your best decisions at each choice, each choice point, um, that, you know, you worked at a level that you felt was really aligned and balanced, you know, how are you to find your best? And you look back, you're just not going to feel that regret. You're not going to feel that desire to beat yourself up. Instead, what you'll do is you'll think, ah, okay, so my best wasn't quite there yet for handling this challenge, and you'll focus instead on refining your best, on getting better, on changing it, on tweaking it. You'll you'll use that hindsight, but without any shame or guilt mixed in. You'll use it with curiosity. You'll say, "Okay, here's what I could have here's what I could have done better if I'd known what I know now." Then um, it's a it becomes a path of evolution. It becomes a path of cooperation and co-creation with life, where You know that life is going to bring you these challenges and you know that sometimes your best won't be good enough to get the results you want. And you'll be okay with that because whenever that happens, the benefit is that you grow. So either you do your best and you get the result, maybe even a better result than you thought you would, or you get the result you expected, or you get a different result. And no matter what happens, there's a pathway for you to keep growing through that either enjoying and appreciating the results or, enjoying and appreciating the challenge of the growth experience that's put upon you. And it all comes down to being able to do your best and knowing what your best looks like. And I think the life purpose question and the big picture question can actually be slotted under that question of what does your best look like? That, that actually can be thought of as a subset of that. Because sometimes you don't even need to have that day-to-day clarity about your purpose to just be doing your best. And when you get into your flow of doing your best, You tend to feel purposeful just in the moment by moment um, experience. But if you have an answer to that life purpose question and it's not linked with you doing your best, then what's the point? You know, then actually your life purpose becomes a nagging source of guilt or shame that you're not living up to it, that you have this purpose statement floating out there. And it's like one of those corporate mission statements that people write up, you know, having a multi-person team create these things and they stick it in some employee guide and nobody ever lives by it because it doesn't mean anything. It's so watered down. It doesn't have meaning. It doesn't show up in drawing out people's best. So if you have a statement of purpose and it doesn't actually help you do your best, I'd say it's probably not that worthwhile to keep it change it, get rid of it, or just reframe how you're thinking things and focus more on the doing best aspect than on the on the life purpose aspect. Because when you keep asking that question of what does your best look like, that's how you start up leveling and you start thinking, you know, what's the next, what what's a bigger goal? What's a 10x goal? Because if you throw your best into little goals, you'll shred them and you'll find that they're just not that satisfying and that you're capable of more. And so that's a simple place to start is like whatever you're, whatever you're doing now, whatever project you have on your plate, whatever work you have on your plate, try throwing your best into it. If you can do that, great, because you'll probably build a lot of momentum in that direction and you'll find that your best really carries you somewhere. It carries you in a more purposeful direction, eventually. But if you can't get yourself to throw your best into what's right in front of you right now, the current project, you know, then um, you know, the current work, then ask yourself, why not? And, and that will be a clue to what your best might look like. What, what do you need? What's different? Is it because you're trying to do solo work and you feel like to really do your best, you would wanna work with a team? Is it because you're working in the wrong field and to do your best, you really wanna work on something different? Is it because the work you're doing is too easy for you and you want something more challenging? Or is it because the work is too challenging and too confusing and you want something a little easier? You know, there's, there's no right or wrong answer there that's a, a blanket correct solution for everyone. It's a, it's a process of discovering what works for you. So see it as an, see it as an evolutionary uh, process of discovery. Try throwing your best into something. And when you find that it's not a fit, you'll get data from that. You know, you'll, you'll get some kind of feedback. You'll find out some things were not so bad and other things were maybe terrible. And then you can adjust, you can say, all right, I think this field would be better for me and I can do my best there. Try it, what that happens. see what happens. You might find the field is okay, the people I'm working with suck. <laughs> Change that and go in a different direction. So yeah, as, a, as Pierre says, either I win, you know, either I learn. Yeah, you win or you learn. So it's, it's very true and either way it's a win. Um, if you wanna go after like those big 10X goals, The interesting thing about them is that when you set a really big goal, if it's well aligned, it will require you to do your best. That's one thing I love about the submersion project is, is, um, you know, I spent a lot of time this past year hanging out with people who really are doing their best. And it got me thinking like, what would my best creative project look like? And another way of asking that is what's the project that scares me. (laughs) And that would be to do this deep dive into subjective reality because I don't know what it's going to do to myself to, to create this kind of project. And I don't know what it's going to do to other people. And it really requires me to connect a lot of dots in different ways that I haven't done before and to be able to explain it. And it's a real challenge. You know, like I'll be telling Rochelle, you know, after working on it for several hours, I'm just like, like my, my neurons are exploding. You know, it's like, it it's uh, pushing my brain to work at a hundred percent capacity to think through all these ideas. And I love it, but, uh, but in order to really succeed with this project, I have to be doing my best. Otherwise, I would fall short, and then I would feel a lot of guilt for not doing my best. I would look back on the project at the end and think, damn, I really could have done that better. You know. And that's a, that's a terrible feeling <laughs> that you want to avoid having. And so when you put it on yourself to do your best, you want to really live up to that stand, standard as much as possible. You have anything to add to this, Rochelle? No. Is your best Christmas tree behind you?
1: Pretty much. Although if I did my best, best, I would like try to nitpick it and perfect it forever.
0: (laughs) Is that really your best though? Because sometimes your best is like your best in a certain amount of time. Your best in, you know, like perfectionism isn't necessarily your best. So it can help to, you know, that's a good idea there is that it can help to define your standards of what your best looks like. Like best, best on a deadline, best and still have a balanced life. Um, for me, I've been defining best with sustainability in mind, like best that doesn't burn me out, best that actually makes me feel more motivated as I work, not like I'm dead. Um, I can feel like I've, I've been mentally spent, like my energy has been used up and I put myself into it, but then I gotta have energy to do that again the next day and feel good about it and, and still come out with lots of motivation. All right, I see we got some hands up. Including some hands we haven't seen in a while, so let's let's move on to the one-on-one coaching. So, if um, yeah, if we can weave these into something about life purpose, thinking bigger, that's great. That's ideal. Um, if not, it's okay. But we'll we'll try to get the theme weaving in through these, and it has a tendency to do that anyway. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. All right, who's first, Rochelle?
1: All right. Well, first up, we have E. Okay. I'll bring you on. A bit of a lag. <laughs> okay. There we go. I'll just unmute you. Ye. Hey,
0: you.
1: Oh, wait. Maybe we both click that at the same time. <laughs> there we
2: go.
0: <laughs> hey, how's it going?
2: Hey. Oh, good. How are you guys?
0: Great. It's good to see you
2: yep oh i would like to say that it was a mistake i didn't raise my hand for some reason um i don't know why it was on so i'm sorry
0: (laughs) okay
1: okay do you do you want uh after all to uh, ask anything about the big picture do you want to just go away
2: (laughs) Um, okay maybe i'll just add a comment real quick about you know doing your best because i feel like my life is basically um i don't know piled up with a bunch of regrets like whenever i think about my past projects i always think oh my god you know i totally didn't do my best so that really deeply resonated with me because thinking back in grad school well i was you know i didn't do my best and i deserved i you know i really feel like i deserved to be kicked out of the program and then yeah so basically i just feel that you know, life has been a complete waste. I should have done better in all aspects. So maybe it's just a quick comment.
0: Yep, I had similar experience getting kicked out of college because I wasn't doing anywhere close to my best. I wasn't even doing close to average. <laughs> so yeah, and then the big transformation was when I took a year off and then decided to go back to school and ask myself, what would my best look like? And and um, it's it's a process of self-understanding. You have to know what, what conditions are necessary to make you do your best? And I realized one of the conditions for me is that it had to be an edgy experience in some way. I had to feel really challenged. And one of the reasons I didn't do my best the first time is that I didn't feel properly challenged. I didn't find it interesting. I felt like it was actually pretty boring going to class. But when I had the challenge of like, you know, some classes where I was have, had to be at school from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. in one day, and then it became an endurance challenge, it was almost like the same type of challenge that appeals to endurance athletes. It's like, okay, how am I going to do 13 hours of back-to-back classes in one day and still be sane, <laughs> and do that every week? And uh, you know, how am I going to just schedule all this in? And and just the sheer craziness of trying to do a massive schedule made it fun, and that's where I started feeling this sense of excitement. I think that's one of the things that draws out your best is when you have, um, when you start getting to know yourself well enough that you can set this challenge on your plate. That starts to excite you, and it's got to be a very personal thing. It may not it'd be; it be could be the kind of thing that everybody else says you're nuts or it's stupid. But you're going in a direction that actually feel you feel something. You're like, this would be really cool. You know, and sometimes that shows up in my life in really freaking weird ways, like, like going to Disneyland for thirty days in a row. But you know, I I feel like I did my best with that. It was weird, but it actually drew out different aspects of my best, just being. doing my best to be more playful and being in somebody else's imagination and um and thinking about what it would be like to think bigger so even sometimes the weird non-work experiences can can draw your best
2: interesting that's very interesting because right now i still don't know what requires me to do my best thinking back in grad school well you know obviously that was my most recent failure like the greatest failure i've ever had um, I don't know. I felt like, okay, so the, the problem with me back then was that I was working, quote-unquote, working, I mean, like, in the office, maybe, like, 10 to 14 hours a day, and I really hated it, and I procrastinated a lot. I would just, like, browse random websites and, you know, play, sometimes play, like, mind-sweeping or, like, Solidaire, like, really stupid games, and... um
0: Oh, Minesweeper. Yeah, I, t- I remember that game. Me too. <laughs> <sighs> I never really got into it as some people, but I knew people who were just masters of that game. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I was also pretty much depressed, you know, thinking back then. I was, um, I spent like, I could spend like 24 hours straight just playing, you know, minesweeping, like stuff like that. Wow, so, that's insane. <laughs> right, but that was the only way that <laughs> that I could bring myself to feel sane. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't really know what's wrong. Like, what was wrong with me? Like, what was wrong with, like, or, you know, the, the incompatibility between me and grad school, maybe I don't know. But I always, But the problem is, I always think back to that point of time in my life and always feel this tremendous feeling of regret, yep. so I, I don't know. So I, I'm still trying to learn from that, that experience and maybe, maybe it calls me to um, define work or like projects or like time and in a completely different way.
0: So. Yeah, it, it does invite us to be more flexible. I mean, I, I can relate to those feelings as well. You know, going to college, wasting money on it, getting kicked out of school, um, you know, some of my biggest regrets are about running my computer games business for five years, like five years trying to build something and then just going bankrupt. And it's like, what's the, it's like, you just like, what did I do with those last five years? And you just think, you know, all your projects failed for the most part, like stuff did, wasn't getting published. <laughs> so much work. Like imagine spending a couple of years trying to create a game that never gets released. Nobody plays it because it's not finished. It never gets finished. And yeah, you can beat yourself up with a lot of regret for those types of projects. Uh, but you can also see it as like, okay, there's a lesson here, there's an invitation. And I think the sting of those experiences can help us get a lot more curious about the lesson. And when we can get past beating ourselves up, uh, which doesn't actually help us get anywhere, then you know it makes us more curious. And we realize there were good reasons why those projects didn't work out. And it wasn't just about us, and it's not really about us being, being inadequate or not trying hard enough that's the easy way of framing it. And that's how we often do. We're often taught that way growing up, you know, like you you get the grade in school and that's an evaluation of you as a human being. That's how smart you are. Um, When I got good grades in school, I was called smart. And when I got bad grades in school, it's like, well, you're not as smart then you're not as smart as you thought you were. But I think that's a terrible way of framing it. Um, And I learned later in life that you can actually think of the grade as being the teacher's grade for how good a teacher they are. And so if, the teach, if, the, if you got a C, it's because you had a lousy teacher. <laughs> and if you got an A, it's because you had a great teacher. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a fascinating way of framing it. And that's probably not as fair either. But really, you know, it, it's the compatibility between you and the goal, between you and the environment. And mm. it, I've been often fascinated to, to, to understand what I need to be at my best, which was, you know, like not where I started on, the, on this journey. Um, for one, I need uh, you know I'm at my best when I have a lot of social energy flowing through me when there's like a lot of people involved in the work I do. I thought I could do my best work kind of in the dark, you know, and then spring it on the world, like here's a book I wrote and then publish it, you know, publish it with the world. But I actually do my best work when other people are involved in the process, like we're doing with submersion or before that with the deep abundance integration or even in CGC where it's a it's a co-creative experience. We create the experience together. That's what draws out my best. I found that I do my best speaking when I don't know what I'm going to say in advance. It's weird, but I find that I feel like the most, the, it does, the flow doesn't always show up perfectly, but I get the most in the flow and I feel like I say the most interesting things more often when I don't know what I'm going to say than when I plan it all out perfectly. And those kinds of surprises, that's what we have to explore. It's diving into the, the unknowns there and thinking, you know, like, like so often I see things like people who are introverted, they need some kind of extroverted aspect to their life to really draw out their best or vice versa. You know, the extrovert needs some more introverted time to be able to, to draw out their best. And so this is, you know, it, it, this kind of points us in the direction of going where we don't think we can go, of doing the weird experiments. That's why I like doing a lot of these weird experiments because they help me figure out new pathways to doing my best. That surprised me. You know stuff stuff I enjoyed, and also just hanging out with other people who do weird things. <laughs> you know, just having unusual lifestyles, and uh, and then it, I pick up ideas that they, I can test there. So, oh, that's, so you, yeah, can, that's- you can forgive yourself. You know, it's like it's not your fault. It's it's part of the it's part of the learning process. It's you know we all we all start off somewhere in this grand map of reality, and the chances that we find that we land right in our best patch to begin with are pretty slim. <laughs> We're probably going to land in some distant area and we have to find our way there over time. So it's a, it's a bit of a journey to get there. And we you know I think it's healthy to have a lot of self-forgiveness. We can let those negative experiences sting a bit, but we don't want to stay there. We want to say, okay, you know, my place of finding my best is out there somewhere.
2: And right, there is a lot of stored energy if I just, you know, keep feeling the regret, the guilt, the shame, you know, and all the negativity. And also, like, I really appreciate it when you say, like, you have to do, like, some experimentation, because in my family, in my culture, we always believe that if, if you're not working at your best, if you're not producing your best work, that's probably because you're not working hard enough. So when I was really depressed in grad school, My family, my friends, they were always telling me, you're not working hard enough. But the thing is, like, I was in the office 10 plus hours a day. I just couldn't push myself, like, to do the work. Like, I spent a lot of time in procrastination. And uh, I always, obviously, you know, I was blaming myself for wasting so much time and energy at the same time. So it it was a horrible place to be in like the the blame was always there like the guilt i knew i was not doing my best work i knew i was procrastinating but i just couldn't bring myself to correct my behavior like and everyone was telling me well that's because you're not working hard enough and that was really
0: but couldn't you see it it meant you had an unimaginative boss who lacked empathy lacked understanding lacked leadership lacked you know (laughs) <laughs> lack of the ability to sign interesting tasks. I mean, there, it could be like the organization you worked for was not, you know, not well aligned. There's so many ways where you can put the blame on someone else other than you. And that's a place you don't wanna get stuck either, blaming others all the time, but it can sometimes be healthy to just look at it from that perspective. Like, how could you frame this as, I actually had a terrible boss. My boss absolutely sucked at motivating me. I spent all this time playing Minesweeper under my boss's nose and was it a male boss female boss or you know male maybe, male yeah okay so what i see so he uh so he you know he wasn't even aware of how many hours i was playing minesweeper and how good i got at that game because of that and how much time i wasted what kind of boss is that oblivious when somebody's wasting like 80 percent of the hours they're at their job <laughs> you know they don't even know i mean that boss was to- was clueless boring, you know, uh, just like what an utterly worthless boss to have for me at this point in my life. Um, you know, I could have had just about any boss out there, which would have been way better. And then you could even ask yourself, what, who, who would have been a better boss, you know, than that boss. And you, and you can even come up with some, you know, weird person, like, okay, say like, um, somebody, you know, would be a, a strange boss like maybe there's uh, somebody in the chat channel can suggest like a movie star or something what would be an interesting boss that how about jim carrey maybe you know like what if jim carrey was your boss like how would jim carrey give you assignments and how would jim carrey react when he saw you playing minesweeper all the time and <laughs> you know, ima- imagine that <laughs> um or uh, ron swanson who's ron swanson is that the american male? you know who ron swanson is rochelle
1: um, I don't know. Is that from Office Space?
0: No, Our, Parks, oh, and Rock. Parks and Rec. Okay. I've never seen that show, so I can't I quite couldn't. know. That. Or, um, or yeah, Michael Scott from The Office, maybe. World's world's greatest boss, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you just imagine like how things could be different with a different boss, that alone can help you get moving in a new, new direction. If you'd rather work for Ron Swanson or Jim Carrey or, you know, having Tom Cruise as your boss or, or (laughs) um, God, who else, anybody, Ellen DeGeneres, you know, like, what would she be like as your boss? Um, Having, you know, having somebody else that you think that would at least be much more interesting, then you can actually go out and create that kind of experience in life. You know, and sometimes, sometimes we have to be uh, really trusting in ourselves more than what the world tells us to find our best. Because the world will give us a path to you doing your best and oftentimes they give lousy advice like you got to work harder like really you're putting in 10 hour days and you know like more hours you're just going to throw out that's going to more hours of minesweeper like <laughs> you're going to clear more minds but that's about it
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know so it's like it's, it's counterproductive we we just have to see those things in the moment and i you know, I've, I've had to push myself in that area too. just learning to trust myself when my best is not coming out. What do I need to get there? Do I need an extended break? Do I need something a bit more playful or edgy? Do I need to explore in a different direction and just being flexible about that? And what's cool also is you can invite reality to help you, especially if, if you're into the subjective reality approach. You can say, show me a pathway to getting back to my best or show me an interesting experience that will help me find my best and see what shows up. And then you get these weird intuitive pings or strange synchronicities start showing up in your world, and they can lead you down a totally different path. Like learning music, if you're not even into music, Uh, you know, you don't don't even have skills in that direction. And somehow that may circle around you being able to do your best. When I didn't feel motivated in school, I watched a whole lot of Star Trek, you know, like sometimes even binge watching it for a while. And Uh, as it turned out, that actually serves me later in life because watching all those Star Trek episodes, it's like it filled up my imagination with so many other possibilities, how alien species could relate to each other in different ways, Um, how a crew could work together with, with teamwork. And it especially gave me the model of how to have a fun life without worrying about money, you know, how to explore the galaxy, how to be an explorer and have all your bills paid. You know, because you don't focus on the bills, you focus on the exploration. You find a way to do it so that reality basically pays your bills for you. And then you, you get to explore. So that's a model I learned from binge watching Star Trek. I mean, <laughs> like just watching TV, it sounds useless, it sounds like a waste of time, but if the most motivating thing in your life is to binge watch Game of Thrones, go for it. You know, like go, give yourself permission to do that. Because you'll find after you do that for a while, it eventually either leads somewhere interesting or it starts to feel lazy and then you find something else that seems a bit more interesting. It helps it helps you clear out the the pressure. You know, so you can start thinking more creatively yourself. And there's you know, there have been so many examples of people that have followed a path like that and they end up doing something that is really meaningful and purposeful in their lives. You know how many astronauts, for instance, credit their interest in the space program to something like Star Trek? A lot. <laughs> you know, they, because they grew up watching Star Trek, that's what made them want to um, become astronauts. So don't discount the lazy path. You know, for all we know, someday you could be an expert at removing minds. <laughs> <laughs> And it could be because of all that early experience playing Minesweeper, you know, it's, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just saying, stranger things have happened, you know. (laughs) Right. Well, I hope this helps (laughs) in some way.
3: Yes.
1: Thank you. Awesome. Sure. Thanks, E. Thank
0: you. Even though you weren't planning to raise your hand, sometimes the universe does it for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: All right, Rochelle. All righty. Who are we talking to next? Next.
1: Uh, Next we have Jennifer. Although, before I bring Jennifer on, I just wanted to ask a really quick question related to what we were talking about.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, How would you differentiate between, say, doing your best Mm -hmm. versus
0: being your best? I think the... The being comes from the doing, like when you're, uh, when you're doing your best, it's, it sort of sculpts your character into a person, who, a person who does their best. And that's where you feel like you're being your best, being your best self. There's more to it than that though, because it weaves in things like ethical decisions and character decisions. It's not just about taking a lot of action. So the being your best is also balanced out by those times of reflection where you think back on what you did. And you think about, you know, what direction do I want to do, you know, do next? Where do I want to take my life? What kind of person do I want to be? So there's that bit of reflection sewn into that. It definitely connects with doing your best, but it also adds in some introspection, some thoughts, some conscious decision making there too.
1: Cool. Okay. I'll bring Jennifer on now. Okay.
0: Dimitri has an apple next to his name. <laughs> That's cute.
3: Hi, Jennifer.
4: Hi. Hi, Steve. Hi, Rochelle. Um, It's so exciting to to meet you. (laughs) Good talking Uh, to you. (laughs) So um, my question is, so Steve talked before about like the kind of the waterfall model of goals and then for big picture goals, how that's like they tend to be more fuzzy and go like less as you um, as you expected. And I think that has also been um, somewhat like to some extent my experience, like starting from last year, I tried to set more kind of like more fuzzy goals and more um, I guess you could say more big picture goals and um, I find it hard there to kind of determine like hmm, am I actually moving towards my goal or um, like where am I kind of right now so I was wondering if um, you could talk a little bit more about that
0: okay well if you want to have that sense of progress then sometimes it helps to take that big picture goal and break it down into uh, a project or a series of projects or even some kind of um, strategic direction like uh, as an example one of my big picture goals was to change my business model uh, away from generating most of my income from like affiliate programs and mentioning other people's products you know recommending stuff reviewing things on my website because i feel like i can never i can never really have the perfect alignment that i would love to see with recommending somebody else's products and how they sell it, how they market it, how they serve their customers. There's always a little bit of tension there, a bit of misalignment. And so there was a purpose-based reason for doing this. And I also feel like it improves my relationship with my audience if I can come up with a more aligned way of generating income. And then another aspect to that is wanting to scale my business. I've, I've done things unusually in my field in that I've scaled things up uh, in terms of impact and reach with my free content but I haven't scaled up the internal side like with a team so we can do more internally. So that always limits how much I can go. I can keep cranking out, you know, like new articles, blog posts, keep them uncopyrighted, you know, reach a lot of people around the world with that. But I can only do projects of a certain size and scope with a really small team like me and Rochelle. (laughs) So there's, there's there's only so far you can go with that. So there's, there's that purpose-based reason of wanting to, have more impact in the world and also being able to do bigger and more interesting personal growth projects like supporting these deep dives and even making them bigger and more interesting as we go. Uh, and, and so there's, you know, there's the practical aspect of shifting the business model. Um, there's the uh, you know, kind of the heart-based aspect of wanting to serve people in a bigger way. You know, An article can only be so transformational, but you do a deep dive experience with other people, it can really take you um, further along your path. But having that as like the big vision is not enough, of course, because you can really get caught up in not make, not having that sense of progress, as you noted. So then what I do is I break it down into um, individual projects. Like what's a project that would move things forward? Well, one is to do a launch, you know, create, create an original product, do a launch, and then um, uh, turn it into an evergreen stream of income. And then basically, if that works, repeat it and basically keep creating and launching my own projects creatively in areas that require me to do my best, that serve my audience. And if I do that for, uh, you know, like even just a year, <laughs> um, say like three of those types of projects in one year, then what happens is I've got three new income streams. Some might be better than others, you know, but uh, they're all permanently selling on my website. And that's that allows me to displace having to, uh, support my income by doing other types of things that aren't as aligned and so it's like I can see the sense of progress because every time I release one of those projects it it uh, it moves me forward it basically starts generating more income in a hard aligned way and that allows me to transition away from other models that don't feel quite as aligned one time those old models felt aligned but now I feel like my standards are higher and I want to do things differently and and that's working really well um, you know it, it like Submersion, so especially it's, it's going great. So like, this was already a six figure month. So it's like hard to, you know, it's, it's like hard to see that there's a problem here. It's just like continuing to work. And as I do more of these, that's great. And what excites me about that is that then I can start creating more progress with like hiring team members and building this out. And the big picture is just to really serve the heck out of people who are passionate about personal growth and who don't want to just read books on it or go to a workshop. They want to do like you know interesting deep experiences like really go into a lot of depth and come out of you know go through a tunnel essentially and come out of it a changed person so that uh, that's the big picture purpose but it has to be broken down into smaller chunks that can be implemented released tested you know see that sense of progress so when you when you see the big picture you know for like one of your goals what's you know what's a, what would be a sign of progress and, you know, I like to, I like to use um, Stephen Covey's uh, uh, mantra, begin with the end in mind, which he writes about in this, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. Not a common phrase, has been around for a long time, but what's the end look like? Like if I, if, so I could ask if I did have that business that was serving people the way I really wanted it to, what would it look like? And I can think about, okay, I'd have these types of team members and we'd be doing these types of creative projects. And I could just ask a simple question, like, what would my website look like? And I can say what's not there and what is there. Now, I don't know all the details, but I can say we'll have products and courses selling and people will be going through those things every day and we'll have you know new stuff in development that's exciting and interesting. And it won't just be me working on them. It'll be like a team, like maybe a production crew. We'll be doing like video and audio and you know who knows, maybe some virtual reality stuff and maybe blending in live events. There'll be like more multimedia experiences where like a deep dive might include pre-recorded stuff, live components, coaching, um, going to a live event, connecting with people in person, social elements. I mean, there's, so, there's such a huge basket of things to, to draw from there. All those details can be decided later. None of, that, none of that's critical to, de, you, you know, none of that has to be decided in advance. It's just more like the big picture is there's this section on the website with courses. <laughs> that's all I need to know right now. And so then it pulls me back to the present and I'm like, all right, well, then what would make some progress? Have one course, (laughs) then have another, then have another, you know, is, is there a way to apply that model to your own goals?
4: Um, Yeah, I think it helps a lot what you mentioned with um, just thinking about how I can, how I can break things down and then I'm working on the small ones. Um, so for my goals, I've, um, so I'm trying more towards moving, um, to goals where I think like, um, like who, who do I want to become like kind of more like, um, car- um, character shaping goals, if that makes sense. Like, for example, one thing is like, um, improve kind of my speaking, not just like public speaking, but just like speaking communication um, in general. So for that one, I find that it's, um, like, it's not as like, it's not something like a, if I say oh I want to make like that amount of money or I want to reach like a certain like level at at a job so I find these are like like you can measure like you know like either you're there or not but with something like soft skills I find it's like um, it's like much more difficult to assess like if you're um, like if you're making progress or how much progress you're making so that's um, kind of like where I've been thinking of how I can make those more concrete but I think what you mentioned like just breaking it down more and thinking just like what is the like smallest thing I can do, like,
0: so to do it like every day or kind of make progress there? I think that's like, that's um, what I what I try to to do more. Well, let me let me share a way of applying that to what you're working on because this works for character building and skill building too. Uh, and so, like as an example, when I was uh, in Toastmasters, one of my goals was to improve my speaking skills, but you know, and feel more comfortable and confident doing it but that's kind of vague, you know, like how do I know if I'm making progress? I could just keep showing up to Toastmasters meetings. And I, I saw people that had been in Toastmasters for 20 years and they, they were continuing to go and they weren't getting that much better. And just cause they were just going through the meetings and they'd already gotten about as good as their club was going to make them. So I thought, how do I, how do I define this as a sense of progression? And there are a lot of, lot of options there, but one I did, which was really simple, was just what's the duration of the longest talk I've ever done. Um, so when I started in Toastmasters, you know, uh, like I started with a four minute speech and then I got to regularly doing five to seven minute speeches, which is sort of the default in that group. And I thought I've never done a 20 minute speech. Let me you know, see if I can find an opportunity to do that. So then eventually I do a 20 minute speech. I have to do it in a different club, but I'm able to do it. And then it was like a 45 minute speech and then a 90 minute presentation. And I, I and I also, as I was doing this, I was thinking, what are some things I've never done? I've never done a speech contest, so I'll do a speech contest. And, I, and then I did more than one, and I won some of them. And then I did uh, like humor speaking, you know, like that was one of the speech contests I did was a humor speech, and I had never really done a humor speech before. So then I checked that off. And through Toastmasters, I learned there's this menu of possibilities there. Um, I. You know, speaking every time I did something different, it was like speaking in different clubs, speaking on a new topic, doing a storytelling speech when I'd never done a storytelling speech, doing something that felt edgy to share in my speaking. Um, Every time it was just like a a new opportunity presented to me, I was like, let me check off that box as something I've never done before. A couple years into it, I got invited to join a comedy improv troupe that a friend of mine ran and checked that off. You know, so I did that for three months. I'm like, okay, now I've done that. And then it's like, okay, I want to do an all day workshop. I just did it for free for the Las Vegas chapter of the National Speakers Association and did that, check that off. Then I got invited to do another one of those for the Los Angeles chapter, went to their event, did that, check that off. Now, another way to do that is like the size of the audience. You know, have you ever spoken to an audience of hundred people, 200 people, 500 people, thousand people and so on. Uh, one friend of mine just did an audience of 5,400 people <laughs> in, uh, in Brazil. And he's doing that regularly now. And now he's working on like, I don't know, 7,000, 9,000 people next trying to get that goal. So that's another way to measure it, but it really helps if you have um, some way of measuring and it doesn't have to be a totally linear path. But what you might want to do is think of it like a menu. What's all the stuff you've never done in speaking and see if you can gradually check those things off And you you can just look for opportunities. When you see an opportunity to check one off, even if it's not the next one you think you might work on, but the opportunity rises, you might want to go for it. And, and my ultimate goal, my ultimate goal when I started was to be able to do my own three day workshop. And I got there, I started in Toastmasters in 2004 and I did that first workshop in 2009. So it was a five year journey to get there. And then when I checked that off, I didn't want to stop. I was like, what else is possible? And I thought, you know, going and doing a four day workshop, a five day workshop, that's not going to add anything meaningful to it. Cause I'm like just adding more days is not going to give me a bigger sense of accomplishment. It might just make me more tired. <laughs> uh, but I thought now I want to be able to do speaking with less preparation, like do an hour long talk, but not have a prepared in advance, feeling like I'm more, I, I want to go from just being like a comfortable, confident speaker to like getting to the point where I feel like I'm a Jedi speaker. You know, where just throw me into a situation and put me on a stage and i didn't even know i was going to speak in advance just put me on the stage and i'll i'll be able to do it and then getting the standard be able to do that without fear and then eventually um like six more years after i did that first three-day workshop i got to the point of doing the conscious heart workshop in 2015 where I did a three-day workshop um, in las vegas off the cuff with no preparation no content prepared in advance co-creating it with the audience and that for me was like the ultimate evolution of that path from like 2004 to 2015, so 11-year journey to get to that point. And now, in terms of pushing the edginess of the speaking, um, there's, there's, I'm just not seeing any more interesting evolution on the path of trying to overcome fear. That's just kind of gone now. Um, sometimes in certain situations, I might be able to bring it up, but it's just not a big deal. And, and being able to speak off the cuff comfortably, got that down. So now what? It's like, where do I take this? And so now to get that edginess, that path of growth, again, that path of character sculpting, I have to, it's not about developing the speaking skills. Now it's about going into the interesting topics. And, and I'd say in between those two, you know, was like, after I, like from say 2015 to 2000 to this year, there was a period also of exploring with different media, like getting into video and trying to get and getting into doing these live coaching calls. So there's that, but those were actually pretty easy to check off relative to all the other stuff that was done before. So sometimes new goals that you hadn't even thought about before they become accessible. Um, Just like sometimes you can be majoring in something in school and you realize, oh, if I just take these two more classes, I'll get a minor in this other subject as well. And you do, you weren't even thinking about getting a minor in that subject, but you realize when you're close to graduation, if I just tweak my schedule a little bit, I'll automatically pick up this minor that's related to your major field. Like that's really easy to do with related topics like engineering and mathematics or, you know, computer science and mathematics, because you're probably gonna have a lot of overlap in the classes. And so you might be able to pick up a minor for two more. And, and it's, it's much the same with a path of growth through life. Like You know, I wasn't planning to do comedy improv when I first started out, but the opportunity rose and I was like, okay, I can check that box off for gaining the experience. And then when you have this huge, uh, you know, pathway of experiences that you've been through in your past, you can start leveraging that in interesting ways. And that becomes really cool because then you can, you can access goals that were previously out of reach. You know, doing a course like Submersion would have seemed overwhelming to me in the past. But after so many years of skill building, I can do it. Why? Because I'm comfortable with all the pieces. And, and now I'm wanting to go through this process of you know, similarly building stuff up on the production side. Like, you know, sometime in the past couple of years, I put together a home um, recording studio. It's very simplistic. It's very amateurish. I didn't throw a lot of money at it, but I made little upgrades to it now and then. Like, you know, like with Submersion, I'm using a, a $600 mic to record it. So it's a little nicer. You know, it's a little bit better and yeah there's like you could spend thousands of dollars on gear and stuff but that's probably not going to be the direction i need to take it next more you know more direction will be like i need to hire at least one person to help on the production side video audio editing, that sort of thing helping me come up with cool ways of doing production for these different projects like maybe bringing more of a like a small um video audio studio kind of Experience to it just so we can make them more interesting. So, not everything we do is like a talking head video. Um, I think that would be fun too. But I have no experience in that pathway at all. You know, it's like going to be a whole different exploration. And I don't even know exactly where to begin. But you start small. You know, like the next step might be can we do a video that incorporates some B roll? Whether I, you know, so not just me, but like we have some other scenery you put in <laughs> somewhere, something to make it interesting that actually um, people like. Uh, that's, that's, you know, there's a whole new level of challenge. So then you think like, okay, now that's like practically going through film school or somebody else, you know, working with somebody else. Most likely for me, that's more in the the team building direction. I I don't think I want to take all that on myself. Um, But some small pieces of it can be cool, like getting into audio editing Um, or just like Rochelle and me, uh, we worked together to put intro and outro music on the submersion tracks. So we just, just on the last three, we added the outro music. I started with the intro music, which is something I'd never done before. So Rochelle found the music online. We edited it, we put it in, we were kind of experimenting with it. We're like, does this sound good? How's that sound? And like, you know, we just go with it. And it actually, I think came out pretty good, even though it was just the two of us doing it. There was no like audio tech or anything helping us. Um, And it cost us a whopping $21 for the music license. So, you know, you take that little baby step, you take that small step, but now we know how to do it. And if we were going to do another audio program, it would take us probably, you know, one-fifth or one-tenth as long as it takes to do it the first time, because it's like we've incorporated that skill set. That's one of the fun things about breaking down your goals is you just keep acquiring all these interesting skills along the way.
3: Yeah, I thought that was, um, that was really inspirational how you, um,
4: especially when you told your story about how you um, like speaking, like um, extending the length and then um, going to um, trying out more and more things. I think I'll, I'll definitely incorporate that like next year when I think about um, my resolutions. So, yeah.
0: What I'll also say is you'll notice some pathways that don't inspire you. Like um, some things that you could check off, but they're just, they don't vibe with you. They don't feel all that interesting. One, mm-hmm. w- one for me was this whole other branch into um, getting into, into Toastmasters leadership. Like you could, ser- you know, when you're in Toastmasters, there's the communication pathway and there's a leadership pathway. And the leadership pathway is basically, you know, you volunteer to help serve in the clubs. You serve as an officer. And I did serve as an officer several times in clubs. But I never wanted to go, you know, and be club president or be an area governor or district governor or go down that pathway, uh, even though some friends did. And it's partly because I'd already had that experience working for a previous nonprofit earlier in life where I was vice president for a year and then president for a year. So I didn't feel like that was going to add anything. Another thing that felt out of alignment was to go down the path of um, doing paid corporate speaking. And I did some paid speaking, like for Hay House, um, you know, and promoting my book and things like that. I spoke at some of their workshops. So I got paid to do those speeches. I think it was like $3,000 for a 90 minute talk each time. You know, speaking pays pretty well, uh, but, and and that's like on the low end of what speakers get paid. Um, But I didn't find that interesting enough. Like I didn't wanna go and, you know, the the pathway there is you try to get paid $2,500 for a speech and then $5,000 and then $7,500 and then maybe $10,000 or 12 and then 15,000 and 20,000. So you keep seeing, you know, how much more you can get paid per speech or how big an audience or how, uh, how good a client, you know, how big a client, like it can be a big breakthrough when somebody speaks to a fortune 500 company's audience. And then they think like, ah, I've arrived now as a corporate speaker. So if the path, if the path is like you see it's laid out for you, you see there's a progression there, but it doesn't really light up your heart. And you can just say no to the entire path. (laughs) So I just looked at that whole path and I'm just like, nah, not, not for me. I wanted to go doing my own workshops and seminars. I thought that would be more interesting. I didn't want to be doing like 45 minute talks for corporations, like, you know, getting hired by insurance companies and stuff that just didn't feel all that interesting. I have a lot of friends that do that and they seem to be okay with that model, but it requires traveling a lot. And so whichever branch you choose, you want to consider the lifestyle consequences too. And I, I like the lifestyle consequences of speaking because it adds an extra skill set that pays well. It gives me an extra option in my business. Whenever I want to, I can do a workshop. It, can, it adds a social element to the business too. So uh, if, you, if you feel like you're developing a lot of introverted skills, the cool thing is like something like public speaking really balances that out. Or doing live music, a lot of friends I know are into that, and that really balances out their more introverted sides. So as you, you, know, as you mentioned, there really is this like character-building aspect to this but it is about t- you know, taking it in as little baby steps and what's that little next goal you can go for. Uh,
4: yeah, thank you, thank you. It's
0: really very helpful. Okay, great. All right, good talking to you, Jennifer.
3: Awesome, yes, we, thanks, we, thanks so we, much, Jennifer.
0: All right, Rochelle, what do we have? I think Rebecca's up next, yes?
1: Yes. All right, Rebecca.
0: And then we have Apple Boy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm bringing you on, Rebecca.
0: Apple Fanboy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is, I, I don't,
0: you guys see that in, uh, like on our screen, his, like, his name he typed in is Dimitri with the apple <laughs> symbol. Oh, yeah. I guess you can see it in the chat. It's pretty, pretty cute.
3: Hey, Rebecca. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going to move that a little
0: bit. So, yeah. Is that asking that is given behind me, behind you on the shelf?
3: I don't know. I'm trying to go through my books. I have to <laughs> I like- have to sort them. I have a bookcase overflow problem. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs> um, well, I think for me, my problem has always been trying to focus so much on the big picture without much clarity about it. Mm -hmm. and I get stuck in the little stuff, and there's part of me that really feels like, well, I have to get my little stuff down, because how am I ever going to get any big stuff done if I can't get stupid little stuff done, and I just stay stuck in little stuff, really, is, and it's not a great cycle, because, yeah, I, uh, this has been tough for me this year for various other reasons, but it really feels like i have to stupid as it sounds focus on my own mental health to get like real measurable progress in my life
0: mm-hmm. I, I like i hear brian tracy's voice in my head because i listened to his how to master your time audio program so many times when i was growing up and it's like he talks about little stuff and he says never start with the little stuff because little stuff multiplies and he's like if you start with little stuff you can just be doing little stuff all day and then you end your day and all you had done was little stuff <laughs> And they, he's right. Um, what I found is a, is, a, is a good way around that is I start asking myself, what would I work on if all the little stuff was done? Then what would I do? And oftentimes I find that I'm drowning in little stuff because I'm kind of protecting myself. I don't know if that's the case for you, but it's that there's something kind of scarier that I don't want to deal with and I'm having some resistance to that and I've got a bit of an objection. And a lot of the little stuff, you know, like mentally we know how to, deal with it. Like it can be delegated or it can be deleted. It can just not be done. And thing is like, if you put it off for a while, probably not that much of a negative nature happens. It's just like the little stuff doesn't get done. I have a pile of little stuff that people are nagging me about doing, uh, including my ex-wife. And, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, you know what? I got this big picture project on my plate. And when you have that big picture project on your plate and it's going forward and you're really enjoying the flow, it really changes your perspective on the little stuff because you see the little stuff as even littler and you you're just like okay that's just going to go to voicemail right now (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm not going to answer that phone call because i know it's going to be a nag about something little Uh, but then when you get the big stuff in place and you have like the satisfaction of like people saying a really heartfelt thank you and appreciation and gratitude coming in it really changes the perspective And I think the real key that people miss when they get drowning in little stuff is they're missing out on this huge flow of appreciation in their lives. Like what you miss from drowning in little stuff, which, you know, if you can really get this, it helps make it a little bit more real and helps it sink in more is that you miss every day. People thanking you for what you're doing, like really thanking you really saying, I really appreciate you for doing this. And when you get in touch with that, and you look, you look at the little stuff and you look at the big stuff, and you're like, here's all the gratitude and appreciation and helping people and you know the connection and the love. And here's a bill. <laughs> and I'm just like, and you're like, eh, <laughs> shove that in a drawer. Here's a here's a letter that starts with red lighting. Here's a letter I got in the mail that has this like bold red font start at the top or on the outside of the envelope. I'm like, eh, shove that in a drawer. <laughs> Let's go back over here to where all the juicy stuff is, the gratitude, the appreciation, the flow, the meaningful work, that sense of satisfaction. And there's been so many stories about people doing that, that I've you know, I read people's bios. Like Bill Gates was always having problems you know, in the early days of Microsoft just paying his credit card bills. You would think, how long does it take to pay a credit card bill, especially when you're making money? And he wouldn't even do it. He would just like not pay them. And they would just pile up. And then some assistant would come in and be like, what's this pile of stuff? (laughs) And uh, eventually, of course, that led to a path of him finding people to take care of that stuff for him. Uh, And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it, um, when you get it, when you get locked into that appreciation, gratitude, it changes the way you frame the little stuff. But I understand it's hard to get there until that's showing up. But I just want to share that because that I think is what, um, what really helps to lock it in long-term t- long is, is that ability to let the little stuff pile up. There are tactics you can use too, but um, you know, a common example I see in uh, God, I, I don't remember who originally this model, but I see it in public speaking now and then. So I'll just describe the visual. You can probably find a video of this online, but somebody has like three buckets and there's a bucket of sand and there's a bucket of small rocks and there's a bucket of big rocks. And then, oh, I think they also have water too. And they're like, You have to, so you have four buckets actually sand, small rocks, big rocks, water. And then they have a jar or something. And they said, you got to put all the stuff and make it fit in the jar. How are you going to do that? And you know, people might try it and they fail because they can't get everything to fit. And the solution is you have to put the big rocks in first, then the next, then the smaller rocks, then the sand, and then you pour in the water. And basically, you know, the water and the sand that's the small stuff. And then the, you know, the small rocks, that's like your medium-sized things. And the big rocks are, are the big, most important things. So the analogy there is that you have to put the big rocks into your schedule first. Um, Stephen Covey calls it first things first. And if you don't, they never get in because you can't fit them between the gaps in the little stuff. Because the big stuff often takes like four hours of sitting down and focusing. Um, it's not the kind of thing where, oh, I have 20 minutes now. Let me work on some big stuff you know, that's that's barely gonna get you, get you into it. And so what happens when you start putting in the big rocks first, and you're just like, I'm just gonna spend four hours on doing this really big thing, and nothing else is gonna get in my way. Um, and you turn off notifications, you know, you put everything in do not disturb mode, and you work on that. And then you find the little stuff is piled up. But it'll change your perspective afterwards, because if you keep doing that, and the big stuff, you know, gets done, uh, the little things, when you look at them, they won't seem the same anymore. They'll seem more trivial, you'll, you'll let them go, you'll find ways to delegate them, you'll put them off even more, you'll basically practice creative procrastination, and you'll simply deal with the consequences of not letting them get done. I remember um, Tim Ferriss even mentioning you know an article or one of his books or something about just letting a lot of little stuff break <laughs> on purpose like just letting it go letting it not work and because the consequences don't really matter that much
3: no that's yeah i think part of my problem is that the big stuff are fuzzy rocks (laughs) Mm -hmm. i can't you know it's hard to even figure out what that even what that even looks like for me and i um but I agree, like because it's because I get sucked in the, the little stuff, then it never comes to formation. It just just yeah. doesn't.
0: Let me add another yeah. piece to this too that I think will be really helpful. And this was also a huge breakthrough piece for me. is that I think it's often a mistake for many people to try to figure out the big rocks on your own. And it seems like, especially when we're first starting out in an interesting direction, that we have to figure out the big rocks and put them in place and work on them in private it's our own personal project you know and i think that's a mistake so much of the time so many times that i've done that i've succumbed to the exact same problem you described where i get sucked into little stuff and the reason i think is the big rocks require too much energy and too much focus and i don't and and no matter how i try to set up my accountability systems they always fall short i can't summon enough strength and motivation in my character to be able to work on those kinds of things alone in private and so the key that really unlocked things was to approach it co-creatively was to get other people involved early like immediately in those big rocks and it's not really for accountability it's more for caring it's more for getting some appreciation early Like before the project's even done, like having people thank me for the idea, for the intention, for the effort, getting into that flow of of sharing something and having it appreciated from the beginning of a project. Whereas I think the default model we tend to fall back on is we've got to do all this work in private, create that magical thing, whatever it is, a book, a website, a course, a product, a, a new business, a new venture, launch it, and then, you know, to, like from Jerry Maguire, we get the quan, we get the the magic, you know, the, the, <laughs> I don't know, have you seen the movie, Jerry Maguire? Remember Cuba Gooding? I
3: haven't, but okay. I know.
0: <laughs> You've got to watch that movie. So Cuba Gooding Jr. The, he doesn't just want them, you know, he's an athlete and he was a professional athlete and Jerry Maguire is basically his manager and uh, played by Tom Cruise. So um, and Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character is uh, named Rod Tidwell. So I even mentioned him on the <laughs> submersion course because I think he's just a great example of certain things. But you know, he doesn't just want the money. He says, "Show me the money," you know, in the movie. But he also wants the quan, you know, like it, which is like everything—the the fame, the the magic, you know, the, the all of that. And I think that's what we think will happen when the release happens, you know, the the launch it's published. And you know what the problem is with that model? It's true. You do get that, but it doesn't last very long. It's like a short burst. Your book is out. It's on the shelves. It's really cool. Like it's a really awesome experience to walk into a bookstore and see your own book on the shelf. Like, it's just, it's like, wow, you know, cool. I'm in a bookstore. And then like a week later, you're like, all right, what now? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's cool, but it doesn't last. There's no sustainability there. And then you go back to your cave, and it's the next project all by yourself, and you're like that um, Nicolas Cage character in the movie Adaptation, where he's trying. Have you ever seen that? Is that a movie you've seen?
3: No, nope. I'm oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> all right, we got to get Rebecca a list of movies here. anybody else on the call seen Adaptation? Can you tell me that's a that's a really cool what I movie? Know about working, movie but.
3: working by myself, that was actually one of my first jobs out of. We actually it was my first job that used my chemistry degree, and I was. Um, it was a fancy title, like competitive labs for North America. Cause there was the one site, it was me, it was the one person. And they went through so many layoffs that by the end of my few years there, I was the only one in that lab. And I would go downstairs to the mailroom to see another human being because otherwise all day, every day, I I'd just be in this lab. I like, I don't, I don't like this. I, that was the thing I learned about that job. I hate working completely alone. I like, space, but if I'm alone too much, then it's, yeah, it has no meaning for me. It's like, well, what, what's the point? Oh, some more plastics. Oh, some more of this. Great. That's great.
0: <laughs> yep. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a tough model to wrap your head around, but what makes it easier is that it works. <laughs> so, so the fact that it's so effective, um, really helps. There's a book about this enough. I can remember the name of the book or look it up somewhere. I can, I can share it, I don't recall the title, but it's basically a book on, on doing creative projects and the author's recommendation is that you wanna get other people involved early, like early cycles of feedback. And I, to be honest, I think the book's a little off base in why that works, in, in the explanation of why, I think it goes more in the accountability direction. And I, I don't really think it's the accountability that's so such a big deal, I think it's more the connection, the feeling like you have a team working with you and that's that's what really shifted my model of teamwork is when I started thinking of projects more co-creatively instead of something I have to figure out all on my own in a vacuum and start floating ideas early with people in my audience just through my email list or my blog and saying hey what do you think about this idea and then it tells me immediately is there traction is there interest and once i see interest it's really inspiring it gets the flow going people give me ideas back and that's how i'm able to like float an idea and be launching it like just a matter of weeks later um, maybe longer depending on the size of the project, but I can just float the idea out there and say, what do you guys think of this? And I'm even thinking of that for like, you know, uh, like a, a, a more expensive uh, mastermind group, like what I have, um, you know, what, what I've had in Jeff Walker's group. It's like, just float that idea and see what happens. And if it doesn't get traction, fine. But if it does get traction, the idea will take on the life of its own. And this works so well, it kind of scares me because I know I know, as soon as I push publish or send on sharing an idea, I lose control of it. It will start take. it will start leading me. And I won't really always feel like I have a choice because it'll start building, you know, true. I have a choice. I can stop it, but it'll feel like it takes on some momentum there because it'll get some social energy going and other people will take it and run with it. And it's like that, you know, we, you end up um, being more selective about what you're going to use that approach with. But if you feel like there's some alignment there and you want to make the project succeed there's nothing like getting people involved in it early and I've, I've been teaching this model to some other people other entrepreneurs i've i've known and they've been using it and they love it they find that it really gets them past procrastination uh, getting people in early but it also exposes some weaknesses it exposes the weakness that people may not have a really good trusting relationship with their audiences because if they float an idea and nobody responds it's like crickets it's like nobody, you're getting the message. Nobody cares right now. You know, they don't care about helping you with this. And that's a tough thing to hear, but it also shows people that maybe they shouldn't spend a year developing something and then release it to that particular audience either. <laughs> it probably saved them a lot of effort because there's no, there's no connection. There's no traction there. Um, and you, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to build trust with any kind of audience, but whoever you think you're going to serve, uh, at least start. Um, I, I had a, uh, an entrepreneurial friend asked me the other day, um, you know, about how she can move further on this path because she really just doesn't, doesn't feel like she's connecting with her customers. And I said, meet them face to face, meet them in person. Like, go to a Starbucks and just find somebody who's local or at least close to them, close to you know your audience, and talk to them. <laughs> and I said, it's simple, but it works. Uh, we're meeting up with uh, we're meeting up with the Christine later today, right, Rochelle? And I think I've got at least like three more meetups like that in the next month or so. Uh, And it's, it's helpful, it takes a lot of time. But when you're with people face to face, and you get to know the real problems and challenges, it gives you a whole, a whole different uh, connection with them. Because now, you know, when you're creating these things, you're, you're not creating them for yourself, or just to create something. You're creating them for real human beings that you know, you're creating it for people.
3: Not know, good like, point. like,
0: yeah. believe it or not, like, this might be weird to say, but there's sometimes when I write an article, and I think of you, you specifically, really? Rebecca. yes, yes.
3: <laughs> yes,
0: specifically you. Yes. So if you ever read one of my articles, like my blog posts, and you know, I'm not calling you out by name or anything like that. But there are a number of people in my audience where I think of them when I write. Um, and so I think, this part I know is going to be for Rebecca. <laughs> this part is for like Ranjana. This part is for Sri. You know, it's like, uh, I, th- I think of those people when I write certain things. It's not about writing in a vacuum. It's like your, I think of like, how would this affect Rebecca if she read it? And how would her, you know, how would this land with her? How would this land with this other person over here? It's not necessarily an entire article, but it could be bits and pieces of them. Like I, I get the thoughts as I'm writing about something. It reminds me of a person I know. And then I, I share something for them. And there's something just really powerful about writing from that place versus I'm just writing in a, back, a vacuum, like for the universe, you know, and it's, it's the same thing with those big rocks. I think if it's covered in fuzz, it's, it's the rock that nobody else is touching, you know, <laughs> if, if, a fuzzy rock or, you know, it's like, nobody wants to touch that rock, but like invite people to clean it up and wash it off and touch it. It's like, get, get other people involved. And say, what do you make of this rock? I see this rock here. It's interesting. And uh, sometimes you can do do that just in the way of pointing out problems. No, I see this problem. I think we can solve it, but I'm not sure how to do it on my own. Do you guys want to help me work on a solution to this? Invite other people in. People love doing co-creative stuff. No, they'll do that for free. Uh, There's just so much interest in that type of thing these days. And I think, I think there's a huge opportunity here for people to shift their business models and just having a more co-creative relationship with their customers. I think the old corporate way we do things, people are just getting so fed up with that model. You know, pe- people don't like it. People who work in the corporations don't like it. People who have to be customers of these mega corporations, they don't like it. They don't like the, the fact that they feel like they have no say in how things go. Or they get these impersonal surveys that they just don't believe there's anything going to happen there. You know, like, oh, well, some corporate person's going to read it and they're just going to turn around and use it to try and make more money off me. But where's the actual caring? Where's the actual connection? Where's the co-creation? And again, I don't think it's so much about accountability as it is about involvement and connection. And I you know, I think the, the more we go in a model where we're just trying to do things on our own and spring it on people, uh, I think we, we feel so much disconnection there. We feel it. We feel the disconnection just all across that whole process. We feel it when we're creating it. We don't feel connected with ourselves. We don't feel lit up. Uh, th- it's weird to, to, to think about it in these terms, but there's, there's so much leverage that can be gained by thinking about the connection between creativity and friendship. You know, yeah. They fuel they feel each other. Um, I think that, I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think on the, on the chat? Is this lending well for anybody? Like, you know, like involving your friends, involving other people that you wanna connect with in the creative process. Because you know, then you get you. Then your creative process becomes a process of love and connection and caring and fun and even some playfulness and and whatever.
3: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, like go, going through the submersion course, I'm a third of the way done in terms of what's published so far, and I've got a couple more lessons I'm working on um, now. And it's you know what I love most about it is just the. The fast rounds of feedback with people. I know that as soon as I publish something, people can start listening to it right away, and then I get feedback on it, and it's and it's great. And people share what's you know what's landing for them, and I'm getting all these cool stories. I spent a couple hours last night just reading on reading the latest batch of emails and catching up on them, and it's just filled with love and caring and appreciation and gratitude and all these wonderful, weird, wild, wacky experiences people are having exploring subjective reality. I'm mean, just going down the rabbit hole, crazy you know crazy stuff. It's it's fun to read that too. Um, but if this, that the experience so different for me, you know, because I can't help but read these emails and come up and by the time I'm done with them, I have an, I have ideas for a few more, a uh, few more lessons. I've got a long list of like, I don't know, 20 or so new lesson ideas <laughs> to consider just based on the feedback emails. So I don't have to come up with every lesson by racking my brain on my own, by brainstorming, people give me the ideas. They say, here, can you create something on this? And then I start getting a flow. And there's something, you know, I don't know if you, you know, like if this aligns, but I feel like there's something, there's something in this, like, uh, I don't know, psychic energy space or something where we, we, we send energy to each other, you know? And when I get to go through a creative process where hundreds of people seems like they're sending me energy, even if they're not sending me emails or feedback directly, I feel their energy. I feel their reactions as they're going through stuff. I feel like I'm getting some kind of, um, amped up creative flow because of that. If I feel like that's part of me being able to do my best. And when I when I go and try to create something just myself alone and I don't have that kind of energy around, the experience is very different. It feels more hollowed out, like something's missing. Like where's all that power that's coursing through me? I have to generate it on my own or I've got to tune into the universe's energy or I have to do it differently. I have to like put out a, a, a bigger net like spiritually and try to catch signals that are floating around there and channel those somehow. But when everybody's like sending it to you personally, it's really powerful. I can only imagine what it's like for, you know, certain actors or famous writers. Um, and, and they, you know, have so many people sending them energy all the time. I think sometimes it can get to be too much (laughs) and you've got to tone it down. It's like, you've got to attenuate it just right. So it's not too much, not too little, but that can be done. And, and then you end up with a really powerful creative flow there. And that's what, that's what makes it so when you see the little stuff, you can put it in context. You can just go, that can just slide. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, Rochelle and I got a, a, an oil change for the car finally just this week and, you know, it had been since March. So we should have gotten it much, much sooner, but just kept putting it off because too many more interesting things to do. And then I feel the car, and I'm like, I don't know, Rochelle, I think the car's shaking a little bit more than it should right now. Like, I think we really better get it done. <laughs> and then, of course, we drive for another day with it. And finally, we go and take a ticket in. You know, it's like, okay, we'll get that done. Um, but, yeah, so, so yeah, now Debitri's saying Tesla Model S. We keep seeing more Teslas all over our neighborhood, so I don't know. We'll think about getting one maybe, but it's not a big priority right now. We don't drive a whole lot lately, so, yeah.
3: Thank
0: you. That was sure.
3: that was helpful. Okay. Perfect. All right. So I guess that's it. So read
0: those well. articles that I'm writing.
3: For you. <laughs> well, I will. Well, yeah. I'm
0: I don't behind. know which ones they are, but they're out there.
3: <laughs> Submersion. I'm behind. I think I'm on eleven.
0: Oh, that's fine. I think most people are right around the end of the first week now because we had a huge batch that signed up on Tuesday. I think like a third of the people signed up last last Tuesday, uh, not this this week's Tuesday. So yeah, they're getting around like day eight, nine, 10 right now. So
3: All right. Sounds Sounds good. good. Okay, you can demote me,
0: Rochelle. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the cornfield. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the cornfield. (laughs) Okay, thanks Rebecca. Anybody see that old Twilight Zone episode where like this kid had superpowers? He, he could like do anything with his mind, but he was like a really bratty kid. So if he didn't like somebody, he could just wish them way to the cornfield.
1: I remember the episode. It was one of the
0: creepiest episodes ever because his family just has to be super nice to him all the time, even though they hit his guts and would love to just get rid of him. Um, because if they if he ever gets if they ever get on his bad side, he could just does bad things to them.
1: So, uh, well, first of all, I was going to say I remember. The Simpsons making fun of that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it's for one of their Halloween episodes.
0: Oh, yeah. Rebecca says the Jack in the Box. Yeah. Doesn't he turn one of his relatives or something into a Jack in the Box? He, yeah. I think he makes everybody have like peanut butter sandwiches for dinner because that's his favorite or PBJ. Like they have to have the every day for dinner. Something
1: you know, like, like that. Or whatever office. it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's like of the original Twilight Zone, the one with Rod Serling, the black and white one. Yeah. That's just, I don't remember the name of that episode, but it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't use that analogy for, you know, wrapping up <laughs> what you call back to the cornfield. That's funny. So, yeah. Okay. So, so somebody in the, in the forums needs to start a thread called movies for Rebecca or, and then, uh, you know, start or just posting.
1: movies for everybody. No,
0: like, no, no. Specifically movies for Rebecca. Re- okay, yeah, like, for Rebecca. Okay. That's <laughs> for Rebecca. Some
1: other people were saying they needed the list too. So that's why I was. Yeah.
0: So that. like anything inspirational, like I would put Jerry Maguire on the list. What was another one I mentioned? Oh, Adaptation with Nicolas Cage. It's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, and then just, yeah, get get a wiki thread started and we can fill that out. And then Rebecca can even check off when she's watched them.
3: (laughs) Nice.
0: (laughs) And if anybody new joins and they haven't seen a bunch of inspirational movies, we can just say, you got to go watch Rebecca's movie list. Sound good? (laughs) Yeah, see, we co-create this weird stuff together. It makes it more fun.
1: So, Steve, we have three people with their, two people. I don't know. I see two. I see, a,
0: I see two hands and an apple that are up. <laughs> oh, no, there's a third.
1: Yeah, Christine, I don't know. if Christine's her, raising her hand, but
0: aren't we meeting up with her in person today?
1: I know, but uh, <laughs> that, that's not what I was gonna mention. I think okay. maybe Christine's internet connection is a little wonky, because it keeps okay. going up down.
0: Well, bit. I think Demi's I think next, right?
1: Yeah, so Dimitri, I hope you're ready. All right,
0: let's talk to Apple Boy.
1: Apple Boy, okay. <laughs> apple Boy is gonna be a panelist in a, mo- in a moment. <clears throat> And I'll you. oh wait, we both did that.
5: (laughs) I think we're like pressing it at the same time. Exactly,
1: (laughs) yeah.
5: How are you guys? Good, good. Cool. So my main question is, Steve, why don't you have a Tesla since it's time? (laughs) (laughs) Time
0: to switch away from cars and go to electric? I'm kind of holding up for a self-driving one. So I don't know. That'll take so much time though. Or not yeah. even needing one, like not even needing to own one, just having like a car pick me up each time. But like Johnny Cab from, uh, oh what's, that, what's that movie? Total uh,
1: Recall.
0: Total Recall, yeah, Johnny Cab. <laughs> uh, went for Johnny Cab. <laughs> like electric Johnny Cab. Hmm. I think those were electric, weren't they? Or supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I think so.
5: Um, no, my actual question is, um, <laughs> okay. what if, um, what if like I don't know what my big picture is or like I'm stuck between several options or i can't like i can see different career options but not the actual big picture of my life
0: Mm
5: -hmm. um but i did miss your intro so i don't know if you talked about that there so i'm sorry no
0: no, not specifically but if you don't pick then reality will probably uh not not reward that behavior
5: (laughs) yeah no yeah that makes sense
1: or other people who do know pick for you by default
0: yeah see that's, a, that's a, it's a common question and it's one that tends to just work itself out because life, I, I see my battery power right now is 42%. That's interesting. Uh, I, see, I see that life tends to not reward that behavior. So as long as you basically say, what if I can't pick something? Then life says, okay, you can't pick something. So you get the results of not picking anything. Hmm. And, and then, so the, then the next question is, uh, how long do you want to stay there <laughs> and so, so the, the question sort of the question sort of works itself out uh, given a, given enough time and enough boredom and enough lack of results, people do eventually pick something, and there can be a lot of ways they pick something and generally speaking, they just guess you know when they 're not really sure they finally just say all right it 's time to get something going and usually when they get to that point where they 're just like, "I just need to get something going," and they just guess they they pick something that's not that conscious and it's pretty bad actually. And then they just run with it and they get negative results. And then they're like, I'm not picking anything for a while now. And then they go back to that place of boredom because they get no results from not picking anything. Then they make another equally bad guess. But what happened, and they repeat that cycle a few times. But what happens when they do that, a few rounds of that then eventually they go, well, I picked this bad thing and I picked this other bad thing and I picked this other bad thing and I picked this other bad thing. And all those bad things, I actually learned something from each of those. And I also learned something from that phase of not picking anything and being bored. And there's, it starts eventually putting pieces together where they gradually figure it out, where they're like, okay, well, this thing was bad, but it was only like 70% bad. There was 30% of it that was good. And this other thing has like 20% of it that was good. And this, this thing here has like only 5% that was good, but it was a really good 5%. And they start choosing from that menu based on those experiences that didn't work out so well. And they put those pieces together and they just keep making better and better guesses. And that works eventually, because eventually they find out something that is close. And then often they get into from uh, mismatched land, they progress to partial match land. So now instead of getting like ones and twos and threes, they're getting some sixes and sevens in terms of how good, good the results are and the matches are for them. And then that's another phase of stuckness. As you can get stuck in a partial match for many years, especially with a job, a career path, a relationship, and so on. And then eventually, that kind of burns out because you're like, I'm getting sick of being in a partial match. And what wedges people out of partial matches and when, is when they see other people that have better matches. And that annoys the heck out of them. <laughs> and reality doesn't let up. It keeps dropping those hints that, they, hey, maybe there's a better match out there. You know, It could be a better job for you. It could be a better career path. It could be a better relationship situation. And it keeps dangling those prizes out there and it bugs you eventually to the point where you're like, all right, I can't handle this partial, partial match anymore. I've got to go try to get something better. And then you keep moving that direction. So there's a, you know, that's just how the process tends to play out for most people. If you want to go faster, there's ways to do that. One is be willing to fail a lot more. It's a very common strategy. Just fail more often go through that failure phase path faster. And then when you get to the partial match phase, be willing to reject partial matches faster. That's tough. It takes some skill. Uh, it takes some trust in reality, knowing that there's a process you're going through here and that you're getting better and better at finding good matches for you. And the way to get faster at that is to reject the bad matches and the partial matches quicker. And be able to go, all right, you know, I'm gonna make an effort to see if I can turn this partial match into a full match give it a certain amount of time, give it a certain amount of energy. I'm going to do my best. And then when I see that there's, this is not going to budge, at least not in a reasonable amount of time. I don't have hope. This is, this is actually going to become a full match and lock into that. Then I'm out of here. Time to move on. Um, That's kind of the phase I got to with my current mastermind group. I, I, I found good value from the first year, but I've changed a lot this year. And I feel like to really push forward with what I want to do in business it's it's aligned, like it's like a 70 percent alignment with the mastermind group, and the other part that's not aligned is really a big deal. And so I've you know I've kind of spelled that out for the group, and I'm like, you know, people don't. What are, want the, to people what are want the
5: parts that are not aligned? Just out of curiosity. Uh, like people are not.
0: I, I'd say I, about the, I'd say heart the heart group doesn't have sufficient no. psychological safety for me to really feel like I can express my best ideas in the group and not feel like I'll eventually be asked to leave because of that. So like, Mm. how do you, you know, when you have friends that are doing launches and you see things that might be inauthentic, do you want to, are you able to point that out to them? And there is some aspect of that group where we could open up and discuss, discuss these things, but I think it's not enough. There's some members who are hundred percent. I would love to have these kinds of conversations. I would love to know where other people perceive me as inauthentic and i'd love to fix that i'd love to have closer relationships with my customers and that's great and those people are like yeah um but there's there's other aspects where it's i think it's a threat i think people see it as a threat to their business models having you know i I share a lot of stuff about the hard line path i'm on in business and it lights people up but it also scares some people i think and i need to know that if i'm going to continue in this group I have the ability to keep sharing that truth, like openly, shamelessly. It's not to like beat people down, but it's to like to sh- keep sharing the results I'm doing. I'd love to have outlets for sharing this in the group more and even like helping and encouraging the people who want to go in a more authentic, aligned direction for themselves. Because I, I see, you know, I see some sadness in the group. I see some people who are stressed out by their businesses. Their customers don't fully trust them. Um, they don't fully trust their customers. There's a distance there. And I feel like if I want to stay in the group, I want to play a role of healing that. But in order to do that, I really need a mandate from the group that that's okay. And, and uh, especially if I'm paying $30,000 a year to be in it. To me, the money is not really a big deal. Like to me, it'd be the same de- decision calculus, whether it was $30,000 or $30. It's money. You know, I see money largely subjectively. It's just a, a, it's a tool of reality. Um, I'd pay that money to be in the group if I thought I could have more impact in creating ripples in the world. Even if I didn't think I was going to get that value out of it for myself, it would be worth it to me. But I need to see that pathway there. I need to see that this can become a nine or 10 and there's people mm-hmm. that want it to be. And there's people that are telling me, you know, dude, what? No, don't leave. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and they're like, let me talk, let me talk you back into staying in the group. And it's tough mm-hmm. to hear that. But I'm just standing firm. If I'm going to be in that group, it's got to be able to to give me that outlet for really fully expressing who I am. Because I'm going to do that anyway. And if I can't be that if I can't be that way in this in this group, then I've got to do it on the outside. And I'll just keep doing it. And that's cool. <laughs> you know, either way, I'm like not attached to the outcome here. What I'm really firm on is my values. And I'm you know kind of sharing that. And I think it's. I think it's going to lead to some group discussion about it. I don't know where it's going to go, but, uh, you know, I've already shared that I'm, I'm leaving. So things would have to change pretty radically for that to not play out that way. So, mm-hmm. this could, you know, what it's, what it's leading me towards though is leading me to realize that there's some things I really love about this mastermind group and that I would love to continue having in my life. It's hard. This is the tough decision. You know, leaving those sevens, you feel like you know if there was if there was enough will from enough people involved this would become an eight nine or ten and there is some of it but not it's not there yet and I have to make a decision whether I'm gonna renew this month. I can't just string it out you know If, if there's a decision with a deadline here. If there was no deadline then maybe we could allow more time but I've got to make a decision for myself too. So yeah I said gotta do it and it's been a very emotional week because of that you know dealing with those partial matches. It's tough. But I also have the experience of making a lot of longer mistakes with partial matches that I know when I hit one and it's a hard edge, I've got to move beyond it faster than I have done in the past. Otherwise I get myself stuck. You know, like many years in a staying in a computer games business that felt misaligned to me, you know, many years staying in a marriage that felt misaligned to me. And it was so tough finally getting to make those transition decisions. And each time I did, the full match came through, you know, when I left my games business, I got this business, which I love, which has cured the ambivalence. That's what I feel. You know, when I, I shared that with a group and like the, the the partial match, the telltale sign is that you feel ambivalent and ambivalence means you keep wondering, should I stay? Should I go? And sometimes mm-hmm. you're hundred percent certain even that you should stay. And sometimes you feel hundred percent certain of the opposite. And that's how I felt with my mastermind group. There were times during the year where I was like, I am so definitely renewing. This is just a no-brainer. And other times where I'm like, I have to leave. That's just, you know, it sucks, but I have to leave. There's no real choice here. And then sometimes in the middle, like, yes, you know, even this earlier this month, I'm just like, so not sure. Talk to Jeff Walker for 45 minutes on Monday about this very thing, you know, coming into the call ambivalent, leaving the call, still ambivalent, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and him being ambivalent too about this. And about, about does he want this kind of presence in the group? And ultimately it's his call. And I think that's the... Doesn't
5: he want to foster a more hard aligned group anyway?
0: uh, Yeah, but I don't think he can necessarily handle the pacing at which I want to do this. So,
5: Mm.
0: yeah, I mean, that's just my own opinion. And I think there's other people there too. I think I'm going a little, you know, uh, I'm going so fast in this direction because of all the personal growth work I've done on myself. I think... I don't know. I think I think there's that seed already planted in the group, even if I leave, but it's you know, it's there and you know, I have to I have to run with it. I mean I can't share, you know, all the details of what people share with me inside the group, but I can share, you know, how it affects me <laughs> um and my and you know, my opinions on things and I can share, you know, my decisions and things like that. But uh yeah, yeah I you know, I mean what the way this way of doing business in a very hard aligned way. It's, it puts cracks in certain old models and um, you know, not everybody, especially in internet marketing is ready to let go of that. I think, I think emotionally on the inside they are, um, but mentally it's hard to get their head around it, especially when you have a staff to pay. You know, I, it's easier for me to say and do this because I haven't built up a business that's 10 times or a hundred times bigger. A lot harder to do it when you've got all that you know, momentum in a certain direction. And then it's like changing a really big thing. (laughs) Uh, My business is a lot smaller and more nimble so I can shift around and find this path. And I deliberately resisted growing my business bigger until I really locked onto an aligned path to get there. I mean, I spent years just waiting and keep soul searching to get that alignment to show up so I wouldn't get to the point of feeling trapped in a partial match at some point, like say with a business 10 times the size. Didn't want to get to that point because I saw how much of a big trap it is for other people. Now I feel like I finally locked onto something where I, you know, I'm excited about starting to scale up and that's going beautifully. I also feel like that if I stay in this group, it's going to create more tension and I'm not going to have the full support of people for growing this type of business the way I want. Because you know, it, it, doing, it's okay when my business is one tenth the size of other people. But when people see that, okay, You know, this launch was bigger than the last launch and I keep going, building momentum in that direction. And what happens if, you know, a few years from now I start to get at least financially like reach parity with some other friends, businesses in this field. And I'm doing things very differently. That's going to push some buttons even in a bigger way. And I want to push those buttons. Right. But it's not necessarily that the group is going to provide that safety to do that without feeling like, I'm going to be asked to leave
3: mm-hmm. it's
0: tough, You know, I, I see their side of it. You know, it's like the stuff I'm doing can come, come off as judgmental. Right. You know, like, Hey, I, Hey, you know, you guys have been doing this business for a long time and you're doing it all, you know, like this is not the line way to do it. You know, it's <laughs> you gotta do things differently. Um, and that's not what I'm trying to do there, but you know, I really, what, what it, what those kinds of contrasting experiences do though, when you get that partial match, is it really, um, you really don't want to get stuck there dwelling on the partial match. You want to let it, you want to let that contrast push you towards what does a full match look like to you? Mm -hmm. And you you start to hold that vision for what the full match looks like to you. And I feel like, you know, I I believe in this idea of multiple quantum realities. And I, I know I've shared that before, but like, where all, all kinds of things are possible, and they just have different probabilities, and sometimes you can feel the probabilities shifting around where certain events become more or less probable and then when you have to make a decision point, it collapses that reality space, and you know the 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 points that can no longer occur have been dropped off that that tree of reality, and now new things start becoming possible. It's like a branch prediction essentially, <laughs> and so you know in sharing this. It, you know, And deciding to leave the group, it's, it collapses the probability space, but it also it, uh, it, you know, shifts some things around as to what's possible here. Like this group might eventually become what I would love it to be and the kind of group that I would need to be in. But it also gives me clarity about what kind of group I really want. And if that doesn't work out with them, it's going to lean me in a scarier direction of having to create a group like this myself. You know, like a group for, say, entrepreneurs who are earning you know, maybe seven figures and up. And they already are having a lot of impact. They already have, you know, teams working for them and helping them scale up, but also helping them shift their businesses in a more hard aligned direction. But they have to opt in. They have to be willing to do that. They have to really want to work on that. It's, and it's tough. It's not the kind of group for everyone. I, in fact, I even, I was thinking about this morning. I woke up early this morning, I don't know, like 3 a.m. or something. I was just sort of dwelling on these ideas. And I realized what I really want is not a master mind, but a master heart as weird as that's like I love that like when I when that idea popped in my head I was like that's exactly what I need and that's what's missing like this is very much a mastermind group and it's got a lot of hard aspects to it too but I want I want a group that's really more centered in like you know the master heart like Mm -hmm. where we can ask those really oof getting emotion back you guys are sending me some emotion this one's good huh (laughs) okay yeah stop it (laughs) Jetta actually (laughs) Cool, it's cool, I like it. Because this one, this is the kind of thing that makes me teary-eyed as well, just when I think about it on my own. Um, It's powerful, like there's something. uh, All right, Jenna, you got to tell me. (laughs) Misty, okay, anyway, yeah. So um, I think this is something that's missing the world. You know, like we have so many master minds, but where are the master hearts? And I think that would be a really cool type of group, uh, even to use that label. And I thought of, uh, um, I actually had the idea, I, I haven't done it yet, but I was thinking of writing a blog post, maybe called Master Harding. <laughs> um, yeah, and sounds just cool. Just about, just like sharing this idea, putting it out there in the universe. So that's a, you know, very long example of how these, you know, these sevens, these partial matches can affect you. And they're really tough. But if you can go through it and you, you see it in a more subjective sense, you know, you see like the universe brought me this, challenge for a reason and damn it's like a tough challenge you know it's like it's really tough to say i have to leave this group it would be an easy yes to renew that's actually the easier path you know it's like not even a a difficult decision there financially or anything like for the mental gains for the benefits the ideas i'll get for it it, you know i'll easily make back um the money it's not a problem you know and i have friends to connect with in the group i'll enjoy the outings and stuff like that um but you know it's the the there's that missing piece that's really tough it's and that's the piece that aligns with life purpose that's the piece that aligns with the big picture thinking with why am i really here in this group what do i want to do for other entrepreneurs how can i create more you know more ripples of positive growth i do see there's a path though to do something in the entrepreneurial space of helping people create more hardline businesses that are really passionate and purpose driven and that have a co-creative relationship with their customers. I think that um, that co-creative element is a really powerful one and I'd love to work with like more entrepreneurs who already have a lot of leverage in the world. I mean, this is different than in CGC and CGC would be the personal growth coaching. You know, this kind of group would cost more like, you know, the number that pops in my head that keeps popping in my head a bunch is like $25,000 a year to be in it. It was, this this is not a group for everybody. And this is a group for people who are already, there are a lot of people already doing these kinds of masterminds, like $25,000 a year would probably be an average figure for them. It's not, it's not extraordinary. There are people who are doing way more, like a hundred thousand a year. Um, We talked to a friend who's working on creating one who's, you know, wants to build one for $250,000 a year just to be a member. And, uh, you know, so the, the money is just a it's just a ticket in to to basically say, I've got the leverage to do this. And I'm, you know, I in. it's not meant for people for who the money is, is a scary investment. It's meant for the people who for whom that's not a, that's not a um, Even a meaningful amount of money necessarily. It's like, like, it's, it, they have to make a decision about it. But it's just like, put me in there. I want to do this kind of thing. And, you know, I'm already doing this myself and I see the value of it. Um, so Yeah, I don't know, but I feel like there's a pathway there. I feel like that's one quantum reality that's possible where this this could play out Um, and having a group that's really willing to invest in, you know, long term relationships of helping each other root out sources of inauthenticity, point out, you know, like asking tough questions like how could you co-create the solution to this with your customers? you know, why are you having this problem in the first place? <laughs> why do people feel you're being inauthentic here? What's your real intention for making this business decision? Are you doing it for the money? Or are you doing it because you really think it's going to be good for your customers that you serve? And that's really creating ripples in the world. And if you had like even a small group like that, like six or seven people, all looking at each other's you know decisions and businesses and running them through that heart lens, I think it would really up-level what people are able to do in the world. And I think um, what people often overlook is, is just how non-motivating the money is and how powerfully motivating the connection is and the, and the the relationships you have. And I see people that have, they've lost their passion. They've lost their motivation, even though they're making a lot of money. And it's like they're going through the motions and people tell them they're successful and, you know, they get lauded for that. But it's, it's like that, that poem that I put in my book, um, with the author's permission, actually, called The Man in the Glass. And it's about being able to look at yourself in the mirror and, and getting the judgment of that, that you in the glass staring back at you. And that's, a, that's, I think, a standard that a lot of people are having a hard time meeting up to. Right. Yeah. And I would, I would so love to explode the heart space in that group and invest more deeply in that. And I'm telling them that. But there has to be the will to do that. And I've got to have enough psychological safety in the group to feel like I can invest in that long term because it's not like a one year thing. You know, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be in the group for many years helping with this kind of thing. And it's and that serves me as well, because if I can share this kind of energy with the group, it helps me up level myself in that area, too. So, yeah. So, I mean, you get those sevens and they're uh, they're invitations. They're invitations to a big path of, of character growth. They're not necessarily just traps. They're traps if you stay stuck there. But if you trust that this is a lesson from the universe, there's something more to be learned here. There's an up-leveling in your own character. It takes you into a, a scarier space in a way. You know, it's, it's easier for me to just be quiet in the group. Go with the flow, not speak up. It's harder for me to do, do it the way I'm doing it where I say, I've got to leave and here's why. And that's, you know, that's tough. Mm -hmm. It strains relationships to do that, you know, but I want to, I want to have that standard of having authentic relationships, not ones where I feel like I've got to wear a mask to keep the peace.
5: But what if you have like two paths in your head and you're like, both of them are appealing to you in some way, but you, but they don't necessarily like, they both require a lot of energy on their own so you can't necessarily combine them to to just like sort of cheat and combine them how do you choose which path to go through
0: i don't ask uh which path is in my head i ask which path has a heart Hmm. and i put that one in my head (laughs) i wrap my head around the one that's in my heart if that makes sense So of yeah, path, of those two paths that are in your head are either in your heart, you know, like I can tell when a path is in my heart. Like I get the feedback from myself, from my body, from reality, just saying master hearting, Jenna tells me vibrationally that works. That's a heart path. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of easy that one, cause it has the word heart right in it, but you know, <sighs> you see the difference. Yeah, like I could go and shift into sharing a completely mental idea, and you know, it'll sound good mentally, and it might be an okay idea too. There's nothing wrong with mental ideas, but if you want to really get wrapped around this idea of life purpose, it's got to have that emotional resonance, you know, it's and and that resonance is often found behind fear, behind resistance. For me, there's so much emotional resonance coming through now, and it's behind getting past this ambivalence behind this decision I really didn't want to make. I even asked the simulator, like, can you make this decision for me? Can you just like either have me, you know, like have have somebody tell me um, we're not offering you renewal, you know, you weren't a good match for the group. I'm like easy, right? That's the easy one. Or uh, have my launch go really badly and I, you know, like have a big financial problem and I don't have the money. <laughs> But no, you know, the universe says the opposite.
5: It's all your decision.
0: Yeah. They're like, and I'm like, you know, eventually I said, you know, I said, thank you. Thank you for letting me make this choice consciously on the term, you know, on on the basis with which it really needs to be made. The universe didn't let me cop out and, and make this decision on it being a financial strain or making the decision on it you know, like something else that was obvious. It didn't give me an easy objection. It took those off my plate. You know, yeah. and it, it made it almost too easy for me to say yes. And so then I had to look at the deeper stuff. And in a way, that's really tough. <laughs> you know, it's kind of nasty to have the universe do that to you. But it'll do that sometimes. But also, I think we, we a lot of times we sabotage ourselves and that we get stuck with those sevens. You know, we, we get stuck with the, the fuzzy decisions. Um, and we, we use that as an objection to really, look, to really avoid looking at the hard stuff. You now, when you ask, what would really light me up? What would really be a big picture thing I would love to change in the world? You know, the, that, can, that can lead you in the direction of looking at some of the bigger problems in the world. What bothers you about the world? And, and do you want to work on changing some of that? You know, what is it? Is it global warming? Is, you know, one of the things that's bothered me for a long time is when I see people working in, uh, out of alignment with their feelings. And I see them getting stressed and I see them feeling checked out from life. And I see how that affects their health and their relationships and their finances and so on. And I, I feel called to want to do something about that. You know, yeah. and then you chip away at it. You know, it's like too big a problem for you to feel like you can do it all your own by yourself all at once, but you can take a piece of it and chip at it. You could point to the problem as, as a starting place. You can offer a potential solution. You could try to solve the problem for yourself, at least. So you're not doing heartless work. <laughs> you could be a good example for people. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to take it. And the thing is, is that if you do that over time, it starts building up ripples. You know, I can tell you that other people in my mastermind group and beyond are actually making changes in their business. People are watching the launches we're doing. They watched Deep Abundance Integration. They watched the Submersion launch. People are watching the videos. Um, one, one person called the sales video or the, the, like the invitation video for Submersion, like the best 64 minutes he spent the whole year.
6: Wow. Because,
0: of, because he does launches too, and it's about what he learned. He's like this is a totally different way of doing these things. Like one, Mm -hmm. like you just put the camera on one take, you film it. That's it. You just talk to people. There's no like attachment to selling. There's no like all these crazy techniques thrown into it, pressure and all that. You know, it's like, it's not really necessary. And it's like this kind of stuff is, is having an impact. It's blowing people's minds and it's causing people to question things. And I love that. And I want to keep running with that. It's exciting. But it's a challenging space to hold too, because not everybody likes it. You know, it's a a threat to the old way of doing things. To really give birth to the new in this world, we have to let the old die. We have to let our old solutions, our old ways of doing things die, and people will defend that for a while. That's okay. And we don't want to just keep attacking their defenses, but just go with the people who are most aligned with it. Start with those.
5: What if, what if you, like, have no people?
0: <laughs> find some. Hmm. Find any. <laughs> you know, I, like, uh, when I started my computer games business, I started just working with friends who liked games. I didn't have any customers. I would invite them over to play games at my house that I was writing. You know, my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> have her play that, play the game. You know, f- you find people anywhere. Um, with the... You know, like with re- when I started writing articles, I just, I knew of a, uh, a trade publication. I was a member of a nonprofit group and I started writing letters just volunteer basis for their newsletter. You know, mm-hmm. you could start guest posting on people's websites if they take guest posts. There's, mm-hmm. there's so many ways to find people, but just start expressing something somewhere where you think somebody would find it valuable. <laughs> it's not that difficult. Or you can just create a new Facebook page or Facebook group and run a hundred bucks of ads to it and get a bunch of likes on it. And now you have people to share something with, or just start it with a personal Facebook page. Yeah. You know, I, I, I invited a bunch of people to friend, I sent out a bunch of friend requests. I finally opened my Facebook personal profile to friend requests. And I think I have over 400 friends there now. And much of that was just from, you know, clicking on friend requests of other people's profiles that I knew. And now there's an audience there of 400 if I wanted to share something with them. You start small, you know? It doesn't, doesn't have to be big. I started an Instagram account, uh, I think last month, and now it's past 1500 followers. Obviously I cheated and, you know, used other resources to send some people there, but it keeps growing a little bit each day. And, you know, I can share things with them too. And if it aligns with them, then they may reshare it and the audience grows. And, you know, you start with you start with zero, <laughs> just like everybody else does, and pretty soon you're at one and you build from there. And if you only have one person, serve the heck out of that person. Post the best <laughs> stuff for that one person. Write the best article for that one person. Write the article That's- for Rebecca. If she's your only fan, <laughs> just write an article right. for Rebecca. And you know what? Even if you have millions of readers or whatever, you can still do that still works. I still do that. I write for one person sometimes.
5: <laughs> okay.
0: When we do these coaching calls for one person at one time.
5: Yeah. That's you know, true.
0: you just one person help one person. <laughs> if you help that one person really well, they'll tell somebody else and pretty soon you have two people. <laughs> that's true. And you have four and then you have eight and it's like rabbits multiplying in the rabbit hole. <laughs>
5: Oh, all right. Thanks, Steve. Yeah.
0: I mean, minimum, I guess you need two rabbits and then, you know, they multiply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unless you are a rabbit yourself, and that's a whole different thing. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> Demi for president? Where is that? Or prime minister? Oh. Prime minister of Canada?
5: I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I have never thought of that ever.
0: <laughs> um, well, obviously, you have some social support from the rabbits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> At least for Robert. Uh,
5: yeah, <laughs> I'll get one vote.
0: <laughs> I think Sky, he's like, go Apple Boy, Apple Boy for president. <laughs> hey, you know what? You couldn't be worse than what we have right now. <laughs>
5: that's, <laughs> that's true.
0: Probably a lot of places where a lot of countries in the world where you would be an improvement. So cool, don't dis, don't discount that possibility. You just got to figure out the whole you know election part or the dictator path or whatever you know.
5: <laughs> the dictator path sounds well, pretty.
0: I would pick that one.
5: <laughs> oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. Modified. The the good dictator, you know, obviously.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. All right
5: cool thanks steve
0: sure all right let's talk i see we have one hand up left uh we'll talk to christine christine and then we'll wrap this up Hey christine we're gonna see you later today aren't we so okay i guess that's social bye as-
1: Dimitri apple boy
0: <laughs> bye bye apple boy. Bye, Michelle. bye steve don't let the rabbits bite you okay. can rabbits eat apples
1: i think so they eat carrots
0: well yeah
1: yeah, I'm pretty sure rabbits will eat apples.
0: Who's a rabbit expert? Oh, okay. Dimitri, they do like apples? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool.
1: Hey, they like hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Um, so I'll bring Christine on, although, mm-hmm. um, like I mentioned earlier, I've witnessed, like, yep. I'm worried the connection might be. And
0: Broderick says, The Good Dictator, that should be a movie. So go make that movie and then add it to Rebecca's list <laughs> so she can watch it.
6: Hey, Christine. Hi. Hi, Christine. Can you, can you so hear fine. me well? Yeah. yeah? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, okay, because I'm outside. Um, I have been into relationships uh, for a few weeks, and there was some good flow, but I see that I fall again in some traps,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, that I am stuck uh, with low emotions. And uh, I thought that... I. I should try to frame relationship in a different way, um, I mean if I, meet, if I meet someone who is mature, who is interested in me, uh, I feel not excited and not attracted, uh, on the other hand, um, when I visualize a relationship, I have emotions like being excited, having pleasure, but also um, uncertainty, tension, feeling unsafe, etc. And I end up with people that don't treat me well, etc. So, uh, I would like to level this up, but I really don't know how, mm-hmm. because I have no um, energy for happiness, and. I don't feel like being happy and peaceful, and I want to be excited. And how do you make this work? Uh, what do you visualize? Uh, what kind of emotions, etc.?
0: Okay, um, well, there's a lot of places, you know, a lot of places to get there or ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is just making, you know, making frequent, uh, making frequent invitations, but keeping re- uh, continuing to refine them as you go. Like, if you find like, okay, this approach is attracting these kinds of people, then it's about continuing to refine that. But the deeper aspect there is, what is your relationship with life like at each of these points? Because if that relationship is strong, the human relationships will tend to flow in alignment with that one. And if that relationship is weak, then the human relationships tend not to, not to reflect it you know, in a, such a powerful way either when what you're saying about humans, you know, like people you connect with and how you react and like, they're not attracted to you or you're not attracted to them, you know, whichever way that goes. Think also about like, where are you with your, with your relationship with life at these, at these times? Like, do you feel like you're in the flow of a great relationship with life independent of your relationships with other people? Do you trust life? Do you talk to life? you dialogue with life? This is one of, the, one of the things I suggest people experiment with in submersion is actually talk to life, share your feelings with it. Even when you're alone, just talk to the wall, <laughs> you know, talk, talk to it, express yourself there, and tell it what you want and say, okay, you're bringing me people who are not attracted to me. That's a waste of time. Like, I get, you know, okay, fine, you know, I'm getting some value just from practicing the social conversations, but here's what I want instead. So I wanna, and, and tell it what you're attracted to. Like say, I want somebody who's like this and like this and like this and say, yes, I need to, you know, I I, want to have this type of experience coming into my life. Um, and also focus on like the, the thing that kills, um, the flow of relationship connections is basically a lack of trust in life. And the way that shows up is a feeling of neediness is a feeling of needing something to happen of, being attached to an outcome of going into a meetup with somebody and needing it to go a certain way and needing it, like needing it to, to, you know, go this way or go that way or, or being so attached to the outcome. And instead it helps to relax a bit and allow the universe to bring you either a match or a lesson, but not be so attached to which way it goes. Like just invite both possibilities, say either this brings me a match, right now that I love and I could just go with and really appreciate or it brings me some kind of lesson or some kind of invitation to sculpting my character. It might even bring me a disappointing experience that will help me decide where I want to take things next. And, and as long as you're open to those possibilities, it actually puts you in a different, different state of being when you meet with people. And you might find like it's easier to connect with people on that basis when you don't need anything from them. If you in your mind are, cont- are, are in a conversation with somebody and you find yourself slipping into disappointment where you're like, this person is into me. You know, you're having thoughts like this person is into me but I'm just not feeling any attraction to them. Uh, try, not, try not to stay stuck there and try to pop back up to curiosity. Saying, okay, here's another one that's into me but I'm not into them, interesting. The universe knows I don't want that, I've told it. So why is it doing this again? And say, there must be a lesson here. There must be something about this person. Maybe this is a person who will actually lead me to my better match. Maybe this is a challenge to really express myself. Maybe this is a chance to experiment. Maybe it's a chance to try a different way of communicating. Have you, have you told people honestly, you know, have, you, have you been able to really fully express yourself in those situations? Have you been able to tell somebody, you know, I appreciate you meeting with me. I'm not feeling like this is a good match right now. I don't think this is going to show up. Here's what I really want. I want a connection with somebody that's like this and like this and like this. And it's not you. And I don't, you know, don't take that personally. It's just that we're not compatible. And that's kind of clear to me right now. I get that. Do your best to let the person down easy, not to hurt their feelings. But you can also try being, you know, experimenting with being firm and saying, no, this is not a good match. Uh, what people often do in those situations, though, is they bite their tongue, and they're passive, and they, 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 they accept it, and then afterwards, they just don't follow up. Um, exactly. Kind of trying to be extra polite. But then you're also, notice that when you do this with human beings, you're also doing it with reality, because human beings are part of reality. And when reality brings you a bad match, how quickly can you say no to it? you have to be stuck in a two hour conversation with coffee or with dinner? And you know, in the first five minutes, it's not a good match. <laughs> you know, like, do you need to continue? Do you need to go through that experience? Or can you say, you know what? I appreciate you going to dinner, but just from the feeling I get from you immediately, this is not going to work. Um, I don't feel safe. And so I need to leave. I'm sorry. Goodbye. And can you get up and leave in those situations? Like how quickly. Yeah, how quickly... A, can, oh, I'm sorry. No, isn't it a bit harsh for the person? It can. If after five minutes? It can, but yes. you, can, you don't have to say it to the person if you can say it to reality. You can go through and tolerate it with the person, but then when you get back to, to yourself back home, you just say, say to reality, that was an awful match. I sat through that to be polite to the person, but don't do that again. Don't bring me any matches like that again. And actually maintain your boundaries with reality. Like, don't assume that reality is is a super intelligent genius that knows how to bring you exactly what you want and it's just holding out on you because it's trying to tease you or punish you or something like that, you know. Imagine that it's controlled, say, by a human being who's flawed. And sometimes they need firm direction. And there's, I think it's uh, lesson 13 in submersion you might enjoy listening to if you haven't heard it already, which is about... Uh, playing the director role in your life and telling reality what you want Uh and being firm about it. Now you can do that with other people directly. That can be a powerful part of your own character sculpting. Like a lot of people go through a phase like that where they need to just be firm in their boundaries and they need to stand up for themselves and they need to say a definitive no. And sometimes people go through a phase where they just stop caring about being rude because they just need to have that experience. They need to know what it's like to just be firm and say an absolute no when things are not aligned. They need to be able to say, no, I'm gone. I'm out of here. This is not right for me. You know, I'm not gonna make a bigger investment when I've already figured out it's misaligned. Other times, you know, people will, even if they experience that for a little bit, they'll back off, they'll be more polite, but it's good to know that they can do that if they really need to. Um, and, other, and otherwise, they, they might fall in the trap of being too passive. And the real key is not being, is not, it's not so much about being passive with other people, but it's about not being too passive with reality.
3: Okay.
0: You no, know, it's, it's like about asserting yourself more and saying to reality, here's what I want. Bring it to me. <laughs> and what do you, and tell me, and if you need something in return for me, tell me. Um, that approach works surprisingly well sometimes. Because it also gets you firmer in helping to clarify what you want. And what you're willing to tolerate, and what what you really want to go for. Okay.
6: Okay.
0: Sorry, I'm moving because
6: there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Just...
0: Oh, okay, I understand. The Wi-Fi is leaving without you. <laughs> All right.
6: Okay, it's cutting in and out a bit. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Oh, really? Okay, okay, it's okay. I don't hear well now, but um, anyway, we see each other in, in the moment, or? Uh,
0: did you get, catch that, Rochelle?
6: Not 100%, no. Something
0: <laughs> in the moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: You know, we're meeting up today, right? So if you want, we can yeah, talk about exactly. the in person. Might okay. <laughs> so okay, I'm thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, you can say, you know, Reality, bring me better Wi-Fi. So we'll give you like the best like, in-person, high-definition Wi-Fi there.
6: Yeah, yeah. J- just this last... so
0: real. <laughs> uh,
6: the, the last thing is a kind of addiction to this feeling unsafe, etc. cetera. Um, I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but how you uh, get over that.
0: Feeling unsafe?
6: Um Yeah. When you like it, feeling unsafe, feeling
0: uh oh, when you like it, is that what you mean you like yeah, it when you like
1: it? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well I mean it's
1: familiar it's, or comfortable. It's...
0: Okay. I'm not I'm, i guess I'm not quite understanding it. Is it like a beat okay. type of thing? Or you know, where like it's part of the the thrilling sexual experience or something, or is it like more of a okay. more of an no, emotional it's... thing, you know?
6: Emotional thing.
0: Okay um yeah that can that can take a while to unravel probably more time than we have to talk about on on it okay Um, okay that's something we can talk about in person though if you like if you'd like okay Um,
6: okay okay thank you sure absolutely we'll see you later
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: good talking to you bye Bye for now
0: Yeah, my, my, my intuition was telling me there that if the connection's not very stable necessarily, that's not a great topic to open up because yeah. that one requires really good communication.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, the, the fact that, I mean, like, if we weren't meeting up in person already, I might uh, might try it, but, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah. I and,
0: think- Demi, seriously, you're still doing the all-panelists thing after all this time that's it's not
1: my fault (laughs) but have you updated zoom dimi or are you still running an older version? yeah
0: so we got to get them to fix this thing i've told them about it and they know about it but but that's
1: yeah dimitri admitted he hasn't
0: updated oh but this yeah so this is like (laughs) this is like now we're we're the ones nagging zoom to fix this little thing and they're focusing on the big picture goal of like trying to transform people's lives with video conferencing and all that. So they're ignoring this little bug because they think it's not important. So there's that's for Rebecca, it's an example. So we suffer with the little bug, but then, yeah, they get the big picture platform in place. (laughs) So there's that. Sometimes those little bugs just have to show up in your life. Maybe it'd be funny, like, like the universe will fix it now because we had just had to acknowledge that. And appreciate what it's like to be on the other side of somebody not fixing their little problem that affects us so okay
1: or maybe it just impacts Dimitri because
0: he has an older version I don't know <laughs> Sure. Yeah, there's all kinds of little things. So we're just gonna let slide. <laughs> we'll focus on the big picture stuff.
1: So we, we have one hand left. Uh, Ted has his hand up.
0: I don't do think we do should take another hand? one now because we just oh. uh, like it's yeah, Ted, you're gonna you, raise your hand. Do it earlier in the call, not, not like I
1: think he had it up earlier, but then it want, went down. I wanted,
0: I to, well, I wanted to keep these more, you know, like more closer to two hours instead of going too long because I've got feedback from people that when we go towards like three hours, it just gets to be too much to listen to afterwards. So i'm sorry ted but we'll we, we will do a call next week too so we can catch you there so next week will be the 27th yeah
1: oh so we are doing a call next week we, yeah. we're a little on the fence i think about so. That.
0: I think we can do that okay. okay all right let's wrap it up for today and love you guys and let's and and have a wonderful holiday season
1: yeah have a merry christmas
0: <laughs> or whatever holiday you celebrate
1: yeah exactly not at all or just have an awesome day just have an awesome week (laughs) yeah
0: okay and buy a tesla yeah well maybe if rochelle puts one under the tree we'll see (laughs) okay don't try that (laughs) okay bye for now have a great day